When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You might actually be the most derivative one of all. I mean, Christ, the same house. Maybe so. But you forgot the first rule of surviving a stab movie. Never answer the... I'm bored. Wait! And welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking Life Finds a Way. We're talking Spared No Expense. And we're talking... Mr. Hammond, I think we're back in business. And I'm Joe. And I'm Trace. And we're talking da 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 da. Can I tell you that I actually noticed the score in this one? Well, it's so funny. So, hey, John Williams' Jurassic Park theme. I'm sorry, we were discussing Jurassic Park, everybody, for its 30th anniversary, by the way. Um, I feel, did you did you see this in theaters, by the way? absolutely did this was a whole family gathering it was like a big to do i so i was i would have been four when this came out so i think i was maybe just a little too young because scary <laughs> i i don't want to jump on this whole like oh is jurassic park horror thing again because i feel like that this is one of the prime examples of that, that is used in that argument mm-hmm. this movie is a horror movie i don't care oh my i don't God. care how many times steven spielberg <laughs> says it's not a monster movie i'm like yeah, but but it is a monster but it is <laughs> people are getting eaten the fuck up in this movie it's a creature feature. Well, and so I saw this for the first time on VHS. Uh, it would have been before The Lost World came out because I definitely saw The Lost World in theaters. But mm-hmm. I was probably like five or six. And when Ooh. I tell you that Frode Lizard Dilophosaurus like haunted my dreams for months after I saw this movie, um, mm. this is scary. And th- Absolutely. I love that it's like now considered family entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing. It's Amblin. And we went hard with Amblin. Like, mm-hmm. I was thinking, oh, you know what? You can make the same arguments that we made about this film that we made when we covered Arachnophobia on Patreon. Mm. Also, if y'all listen to that episode, a movie that also scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. <laughs> mm-hmm. These were properly scary horror films that were also targeting a family-friendly audience. Like... We just rolled a little bit different. You know what? Sure, we're all in therapy now, and yeah. it's all good. <laughs> but yeah, I'm sorry. To, to continue my thought from earlier, though, uh, I I like John Williams' theme for this. It is iconic. Mm-hmm. My one gripe with his score is that I actually don't find any of the music during the scary scenes particularly memorable. Oh. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. Not to say it's bad. It's just like again, like that. I, I can. I, I just fucking like did the theme <laughs> from memory. <laughs> I couldn't do that with one of these suspenseful scores. 
Yeah, there's a couple of pieces that are iconic, they're highly memorable, and you're right, it's just, yeah, I think the closest we get is almost a generic, like, da -da, da -da, da -da. yes, uh-huh, 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 but nevertheless, um, I do love Jurassic Park. <laughs> oh my god, this was so fun to just go back and enjoy. I was repeating whole sections of the film verbatim because I realized I've seen this movie so many times. It's just imprinted in my mind. I, I, I'm kind of the same way, but you know, I, I, rewatching it again, and I, I could not tell you the last time I rewatched this movie. Honestly, it probably would have been in 2015 when I was preparing for Jurassic World. Right. Mm -hmm. I have seen the last hour of this movie a lot um hmm. it's the first hour it wasn't fuzzy i remember a lot of it but i was like oh there's a lot of like i mean again it's not a slow movie it's not a slow build but but it's character beats it's character beats which again when you look at the critiques from the time from like it, you know this movie was well received but a lot of the critiques were oh there's not a lot of character or plot and i was like well the Whoa. plot is dinosaurs are attacking them <laughs> and they're I, honestly to me it's like i mean yeah we're not getting like widely drawn characters here but there's enough little things that make these characters so memorable and i find that the supporting turns are actually really decent like i think muldoon is a really interesting character this was actually the first film that introduced me to samuel l jackson it probably was mine, too, to be honest, but I probably didn't even realize it was him until, right. like, years after I had seen it. Sure, you're just, like, that guy with all the personality in the control room who was smoking up a storm. Honestly, you're gonna laugh at me for this. I never remembered Samuel L. Jackson dying in this movie because we don't see his death, mm -hmm. and I never knew whose arm that was that gets Laura Dern. So, honestly, I think... <laughs> oh, you did recognize the one person the of black color. person. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, sorry, there's a black man who dies in the opening scene, too. And yeah, well, yeah, all the white people die in this movie. <laughs> the two of them. Um, but no, I think, yeah, back in 2015, I was like, oh, I guess Samuel L. Jackson does die in this movie. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I'll confess, I never really considered the possibility of covering this film. And then, yes, you know, the debate rages every once in a while. I'm sure it's probably raging right now because Jurassic Park is back in the popular consciousness. But... I just didn't really think dinosaurs were going to be our bag for the podcast. And then I was doing, you know, the count. And yeah. it's like, obviously, we did Tammy and the T-Rex last week. Welcome to part two of our Dino Double Bill. But then we've also covered Jurassic World Dominion on the Patreon, as well as that Adam Driver movie, 65. Oh, shit. We did do 65. Honestly, okay, here's the thing. I... I really like dinosaur movies when they're, when, when mm -hmm. they're trying to be scary. I don't really care for, like, Land of the Lost type shit. I've never really, like, right. gone for friendly dinosaurs. I want okay. my creature feature. Right. And to that being said, though, I actually do really, really like this original trilogy. I know people hate on The Lost World for whatever. I mean, look, mm -hmm. that movie's about 30 minutes too long. Yeah, that's my big thing. I really don't like the end of it. As in, like, you don't like the San Diego stuff? No, but, like... The trailer shit is nightmare fuel. And I love it. Uh, all the velociraptors going through like a, it's not a cornfield, but like the tall grass. You see their tails going through, mm -hmm. which then Ridley Scott rips off for Alien Covenant. Oh, hundred percent. I don't even. I, everyone always makes fun of that girl for the gymnastics thing, and I was like, you know what? Uh, it's built into her character. Well, that's also kind of like the Amblin touch, right? Like the kids sure. get to do something. Gymnastics is her thing, just like the hacking is Lexi's thing. I was gonna movie. say Lex and the hack. It's a Linus system. I know this. But <laughs> okay, Lex. <laughs> I, was, I don't know what the fuck that means. Uh, but but 
honestly, the, the, the controversial pick for me is I actually don't mind Jurassic Park 3. I remember so little of it. I, I remember there was a lot of pushback because we were kind of doing Sam Neill again, but he seemed like he was not interested in it. And then you're like, oh, wait, if you want to see what he looks like when he's not interested... Jurassic World Dominion is right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny because you know, I just said, oh, Lost World's 30 minutes too long, whereas mm. I would argue that Jurassic Park 3 is 30 minutes too, too short. short. It's yep. a 90-minute movie. <laughs> yeah, and, and if you want to talk about character work that is not there, Taya Leone, girl, what are you even playing in that movie? I think there's interesting parts to it, but yeah, it just doesn't it doesn't hold up quite as well. I, I mean, it's also a different director. It's Joe Johnson. Sure. But I think that the set pieces in that movie are actually really, Some really good. Ones. good. Does that one have the river part? It's Yeah, it's the river. Yeah. Bit. Th that was originally in the book Jurassic Park, so they repurposed that for um, Jurassic Park mm -hmm. 3. You have the pterodactyl cage. You have... Right. Uh, honestly, everything with that Spinosaurus I think is really fun, um, especially when it eats the phone and they keep hearing the phone. <laughs> <laughs> Although I will say it feels like that film is where we definitely start to see the genesis of these new Jurassic World films where, you know, mm -hmm. it's bigger scarier versions of t-rexes yeah it's like oh, all right well and that's why i'll even say like i prefer jurassic park 3 to any of the world films and eh, maybe not fallen kingdom actually because jurassic world yeah. jurassic park 3 is still at least tr in the same horror tone as these first two films whereas nothing in those jurassic world films outside of the last half of fallen kingdom is mm -hmm. really in like planted in the horror genre absolutely yeah they're action films they're not horror films exactly exactly this is horror adventure those are action adventure <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> as we're like oh all these people being dicks about whether jurassic park is a horror film meanwhile let's have a two-minute conversation about i know <laughs> <laughs> it should come as no surprise to know to find out that there's a lot of information about the making of this film <laughs> just a little bit it's you know just kind of revolutionary in terms of its special effects well that's the thing i mean when have we had a movie in the last, let's say, 15 years? Mm, I guess maybe Avatar. I was going to say, I was gonna say was you're talking Avatar. Avatar. Mm -hmm. I was like, one that was like, oh, like, I've never seen this before. Because that is very much yeah. what this and, like, Terminator 2 was around the same mm -hmm. time. Anyway. Okay. Well, Jurassic Park is based on the novel written by Michael Crichton. And I didn't know this. Uh, it began as a screenplay that he wrote in 1983 about a graduate student who recreates a pterosaur. And hmm. <laughs> I guess it never came to fruition, but he started reasoning. He was like, well, genetic research is expensive. And, and I quote, there is no pressing need to create a dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. It's never stopped us. Well, he's like, well, how can I justify people making them? Oh, for entertainment. Let's make it a mm -hmm. theme park. And I'm like, honestly, I like that. That's great. But like, come on, like mad scientists aren't just going to try to create dinosaurs because they can. Well, also, sir, you wrote and directed Westworld, which yeah! is basically the same idea, <laughs> only with robots. Exactly. Um, have you read the book, by the way? Jurassic Park? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yes. And the sequel big fans i actually quite like michael creighton's writing it's one of the reasons why i have a soft spot for the movie sphere because i actually oh. love the book even though the movie's not good michael creighton noted climate change denier not oh. a great person <laughs> i mean he's dead now so it's all okay i can speak ill of him <laughs> But um, god damn, those books, page turners, the original like air, 
airport books for me. Yeah, I actually read these about 10 years ago. I was, um, when I was hosting at a restaurant in my downtime, I would read these books. Uh, oh, they're so good. I know. I mean, again, and these are also like R-rated books. Like, I mean, oh, yeah. we were never going to get an R-rated version of this book because of how expensive it was to make mm-hmm. these dinosaurs happen. I will say, uh, the film does follow the book pretty closely, minus a few things. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll have to cover The Lost World one day, because I remember that really liking that book and being quite disappointed at all the changes the movie had made yeah it really just does not adhere to it but i think in part because they wanted to bring back people like malcolm yeah but he's still the lead in the book yeah it just it it feels like they yeah they they had a different plan for him (laughs) in mind and it was like well now we got to get rid of a bunch of shit from the book well that's the thing because malcolm does die in jurassic park but then he (laughs) is uh, oh look he's alive actually in the lost Mm -hmm. world Yeah, because that book was written, I think, after the success of this film. So it was kind of like, ooh, I'm going to retcon some shit because people really gravitated to Jeff Goldblum's character. I compare it a lot to, honestly, um, uh, Thomas Harris and Hannibal, where it's like, oh, like, I don't really think either one of them really wanted to write The Lost Mm -hmm. World or Hannibal, respectively. But because those films that were adapted from the first novels were so successful, they were like, well, I guess I'll write it. (laughs) Oh, my God. Trace, just say what's on your mind. Somebody backed up a dump truck truck full of money to their property and said you need to write another book yep and uh that they did and they did (laughs) to mixed results (laughs) right anyway so steven spielberg first learned of the jurassic park the novel in october of 89 a year before its publication on november 20th 1990 and i guess he was already in cahoots with uh michael Crichton because they were talking about a screenplay that was going to eventually become er the tv show Oh, yeah. I forgot Michael Creighton was involved in that, but Mm -hmm. yes. Which I'm like, okay, well, did that start as a film? Because you know me, then I would just went to a deep dive on ER for like 20 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) But before the book was published, uh, Crichton had demanded a non-negotiable fee of $1.5 million for the film rights and a substantial percentage of the gross. Oh, smart call. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I'm sure he could afford it, right? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so Warner Brothers and Tim Burton were a pairing. Columbia Pictures Mm. and Richard Donner were appearing, and 20th Century Fox and Joe Dante were appearing, and all of these pairs bid on the rights for this screenplay. You know what? I like those last two options. I cannot see Tim Burton doing this. Yeah, I feel like Tim Burton would be a lot of stop motion, which, funnily enough, was what this movie was going to be. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. Uh, But Universal Studios eventually acquired them in May of 1990 for Spielberg, and... After completing Hook, uh, which is a movie that I liked a lot as a kid, but I don't think... um, Everyone Mm -hmm. tells me it's bad, so I don't Mm -hmm. know. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But he really wanted to film Schindler's List. And so Sid Sheinberg, president of the Music Corporation of America, um, Universal's parent company at the time, gave the green light to Schindler's List on the condition that Spielberg make Jurassic Park first. Tell you what, you make the dinosaur movie on one hand, and then we'll let you make your Holocaust movie on the other. Well, and here's the thing. Schindler's List comes out not even six, it is six months after Mm -hmm. after Jurassic Park. And so while this film is in post-production, he is in Poland filming Schindler's List and getting like daily sent to him on Jurassic Park. I'm not not dailies, I'm sorry, like post-production footage with special effects added in on cassettes in Poland while he's also making that film. And I'm like... Jesus. I don't I don't know how someone can do that. <laughs> I mean, it as if it isn't hard enough to make one movie, you're actually making two. Uh, what will 
possibly be one of the best runs in your motherfucking career Mm -hmm. (laughs) sidebar this is when i still like steven spielbergo and i do not love him anymore honestly i can't even say that i don't like steven spielberg anymore it's just that his projects don't interest me anymore i just get so fucking tired of his family value stuff and sure come at me hate me all you like but like seriously all of his movies are about family oriented shit i can take it in this film because it's not the main crux but uh yeah he definitely lost me with war of the worlds that's where i was like oh we have to break up oh i still like war of the worlds i, I get where you're coming from but again, i like the movie it's just the end of it pisses me off so much because the that's kid lives. needed to die and i will <laughs> die on this hill it's okay everyone go watch west side story that was a good one um Ooh, that is true you know what i will give you that yeah mm-hmm um but yeah so uh spielberg said that by choosing a creature driven thriller he wanted to try to make a good sequel to jaws on land which shame on you steven spielberg jaws 2 was good uh go to our patreon (laughs) to hear us talk about that on our audio commentary this month (laughs) my god the synergy that was your best segue ever by the way thank you i did it on the fly um to okay so obviously the big thing with this movie is these effects so Mm -hmm. to create the dinosaurs Spielberg thought of hiring Bob Gurr, who designed a giant mechanical King Kong for Universal Studios Hollywood's uh, King Kong Encounter. Um, have you ever been on that ride, by the way? I have not. No. It doesn't exist anymore, but it's like you're in like a floating tram car and like you just just big King Kong all over the, the city. I think um, I saw images of it and it looked very scary. <laughs> well, it held a special place in my family's heart because my sister was terrified of this King Kong monster because he grabs for the car, but doesn't grab right. it. Of but course. she was a little girl. And she shrieked and wailed her entire way back back to the entrance of this ride. (laughs) But upon reflection, he felt life-size dinosaurs would be too expensive and not at all convincing. So instead, Mm -hmm. he sought the best effects supervisor in Hollywood, uh, bringing in Stan Winston to create the animatronic dinosaurs. Right. Yes. Bill Tippett, noted stop-motion expert. Oh my god. Really? Well, so he was eventually credited as the dinosaur supervisor because his work was eventually not quite needed once we we moved over to CGI. Right. Okay. That makes sense. But Tippett was going to do go motion dinosaurs for the long shots. And go motion is a variation of stop motion animation that Mm. incorporates motion blur into each frame involving motion. And I really love (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. That's just a movie. Well, okay, so you, you know how uh, oh god, how so many TVs now are uh, equipped with motion blur uh-huh, already uh-huh. there, and all these film buffs and directors will be like, turn off motion blur on your TV, because it gives it the soap opera effect? Yes. Well, yes. I guess in stop motion, it make, it doesn't give it the soap opera effect, it makes it look more realistic movements. Right. Okay, so folks, what we're saying is, go and turn your parents' stop motion back on. Stop motion, motion blur! <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, so we have Michael Lantieri to supervise the onset effects and Dennis Murin of Industrial Light and Magic uh, to do the digital compositing. And of course, we discussed Industrial Light and Magic a lot in our Patreon episode on Deep Rising. There's a lot of drama around Industrial yes. Light and Magic at this time, but this is, I believe, George Lucas's studio. It is, yeah. And that's one of the reasons why it's so revolutionary because, um, you know, even as you were saying, oh, what's been such a big deal in the last like 10 years or so, if we extend that back, we would talk about things like Star Wars and yes. the, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was like, this is another one. Honestly, maybe I'm just thinking of Indiana Jones, but that that can't be it. It's something else. 
Anyway, well, paleontologist Jack Horner supervised the designs to help fulfill Spielberg's desire to portray the dinosaurs as animals rather than monsters. And I'm like, okay, well, potato, potato. Whatever gets him behind the camera. Sure. Uh, (laughs) Certain concepts about dinosaurs, like the theory that they evolved into birds and had a very little in common with lizards, were followed. Um, This prompted the removal of the raptor's flicking tongues in Tippett's early animatics. Um, Hmm. And Horner complained it was implausible and also stupid. <laughs> How do you really feel? Well, it's funny, you know, because I I, I I watch a lot of the extra features on my Blu-ray of this, and you can actually look at the uh, these animatics of the flicking tongues, and it makes them look more like snakes. Yeah, I think that's the danger, right? Like the way that they move, obviously, has been conditioned to birds, as Doctor Grant mentions early in the film. Mm-hmm. But there's something menacing and beautiful about them whereas i feel like something like the dilaposaurus it still has bird-like qualities but it is much more reptilian well and that's the thing right i mean like we can talk about honestly if we were a paleontology podcast we could talk about the differences between the actual dinosaurs and what was here because like the dilaposaurus didn't spit venom it didn't have a frilled lizard thing on its neck but like Mm -hmm. who could care (laughs) (laughs) uh childhood me who was basically tim in this movie but uh Mm -hmm. yeah that's that's not who i am anymore yeah okay (laughs) okay winston's department created fully detailed models of the dinosaurs before molding latex scans which were then fitted over complex robotics and then Tippett created stop motion animatics of the raptors in the kitchen and the tyrannosaurus attacking the car but despite go motion's attempts at motion blurs spielberg still found the end result unsatisfactory for a live action feature film it was still mm-hmm. like it wasn't quite the ray harryhausen style stop motion like it didn't look that stop motiony but it still didn't look it just wasn't convincing enough right not enough yeah and you know what good on spielberg so Mirren told spielberg he thought the dinosaurs could be built using <gasps> computer generated imagery Ooh, don't touch that monitor. Uh, <laughs> shit. The director asked him to prove it. So, ILM animators Mark Dippe and Steve Williams developed a computer-generated walk cycle for the T-Rex skeleton and were approved to do more. When Spielberg and Tippett saw an animatic of the T-Rex chasing a herd of the Gallimimus, um, it's like that, you know, when uh, Grant mm-hmm. and the kids are running in the field, Spielberg told Tippett he was basically out of a job, and Tippett goes, don't you mean extinct? Which was a line that was incorporated into the film. Oh, funny, and also a little mean. Well, and that's the thing. So all these stop-motion guys are like, oh my god, like we're all going to be out of a job because this industry for stop-motion is going to go away. Hmm. Not entirely. Well, they, they all ended up staying on hand, but just not for the job they were originally hired to do. Right. Which is why Tippett was was accredited as dinosaur supervisor. Sure. But yeah, so no go motion was used. Um, you know, their, their team is still kept on. Tippett was still a consultant for dinosaur anatomy, and his stop motion animators were retrained as computer animators. <laughs> there, your jobs aren't extinct. You've just gotten new ones. Yeah, new skills for your life. Uh, the animatics made by Tippett's team were also used, along with the storyboards, as a reference for what would be shot during the action sequences. And so uh, ILM's artists were sent on private tours to the local animal park so they could study large animals, rhinos, elephants, gators, giraffes, up close. And <laughs> I love this. They also took mime classes to aid in understanding movements. Okay. It's interesting. I'm. <laughs> is it bad that my immediate thought is in Bring It On when they're like, we need a new routine. We're going to study mime. Uh, we should cover bring it on that's a horror movie right oh my god i fucking love bring it on bring it on um pause really quick before i get to the the script though because 
how do you think these effects hold up by today's standards? And I actually, I'm going to say the CGI because I do think that all the puppet stuff looks mm-hmm. fan fucking fantastic. Yeah, I think most of it still holds up. It's just when the human actors have to interact with some of the dinosaurs up close that mm-hmm. you can kind of see a bit of an outline around them. But for the most part, I think it's actually still really convincing. I agree. I mean, look, I think when we first see the Brontosaurus when it's on its hind legs, I'm kind of like, oh, that doesn't look like that's clearly a CGI creation. But we're also in mm-hmm. broad daylight in that scene. And right. Yeah. As we discussed many times, C- CGI looks worse in high, uh, bright lights. But um, exactly. See, <laughs> for reference, see every ending of a Marvel movie in the last 20 years and why it always goes black or gray. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, actually, that's really funny that you mentioned that because um, I'm catching up. I'm late going to see Guardians of the Galaxy 3 because I've been behind on my Marvel movies. And I watched mm. Thor Love and Thunder last night, which I actually thought was very fun. I was primed for a disappointment because I, I, everyone told me it was bad. Um, right. But... That was the first Marvel movie where I was like, oh, wow, every shot of this movie looks like actors in front of a green screen. <laughs> yeah, I haven't checked that one out. But my my frame of reference is always uh, Shang-Chi and also Black Widow. Like, the whole movie looks pretty good. And then you get to the end of both of them. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, a big storm's coming in. <laughs> okay. Well, because in Thor, it's like, you know, oh, it's like, it's bright it's colorful and they're all mm-hmm. in space so it's like meh, whatever right. anyway um <laughs> so to adapt his screenplay universal paid michael Crichton a further half million dollars to adapt his own novel which he had finished at the time spielberg was filming hook and okay. Crichton noted that because the book was fairly long uh his script had about 10 to 20 percent of the novel's content scenes were dropped for budgetary and practical reasons and the violence was toned down right. uh they gave a person named Malia Scotch Marmo um, the opportunity to do a rewrite of the script in October of 1991, and that lasted for five months. And that version of the script merged Ian Malcolm with Alan Grant. Oh, okay. I know. I think it's kind of weird, too. That would be challenging, because those characters bounce off each other a lot. And they're so different from each other. Like, Yeah. <laughs> but Spielberg wanted another writer to rework the script. So Universal President Casey Silver recommended David Coop. Uh, and at the time, he was probably best known for being the co-writer of the Robert Zemeckis film, Death Becomes Her, which... Mm, never heard of it. I'd, which we'll have to cover that one day eventually. Like, Oh, we we have gotten our wrists slapped numerous times for not covering it. I know. Um, but Co-op started afresh from Marmo's draft and used Spielberg's idea of a cartoon shown to the visitors to remove much of the exposition that fills Crichton's novel. Which I guess really, yeah, a lot of the first half of that novel is a lot of science jargon. Yeah, I mean, Crichton is... A- <laughs> strangely enough even though he was a climate change denier he does have an interest in science Uh, which is bizarre right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) he just likes to make up science he doesn't like actual science folks if you don't believe me read his last novel it is literally about how climate change is not a real thing oh my god well I will not read that. Um, <laughs> uh, Co-op tried to avoid excessive character detail because, and he says, whenever they start talking about their personal lives, you couldn't care less. This is a dinosaur movie. <laughs> you know what? He kind of understands the job then. Yeah. Well, so he, he tried to flesh out the characters to make for a more colorful cast with, again, as we said before, these little moments. So mm-hmm. Malcolm flirting with Ellie during uh, leading to Grant's jealousy. Some characterizations were changed from the novel. This because I had read this book after I you know seen the movie a ton of times. And right. 
the biggest difference for me was that in the book, Hammond is a douchebag. Oh, he's the worst. And when he dies in the book, you're happy about it. Oh, yeah. And he dies by the compies, the little dinosaurs he that are does. all over that sequel. Yeah, who are not in here. And then they form the opening of The Lost World. Oh, and see, that opening when Camilla Bell gets... Well, when you think she gets eaten, but then they wave it off. We're like, oh, she's fine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, no, that bitch got eaten. Yeah, she's off in heaven drinking milkshakes and jacking off teenage boys. <laughs> uh, Co-op also switched the characters of Tim and Lex. Because in the book, Tim is older and Lex is younger. So... I actually like that because I do think it gives Lex a bit more agency, even if Lexi is kind of, um... Yeah, she's a bit of a screamer. Yeah, but it's also like all the worst shit does happen to her. (laughs) It's true. Yeah. After 25 months of pre-production... I know. Filming began on August 24th of 1992 on the Hawaiian island of Kauai. Uh, The three-week shoot involved various daytime exteriors for Isla Nublar's forests. Um, On September 11th, though, Hurricane and Nikki came over the island, um, costing a day of shooting. Several of the storm scenes in the film are actual footage of this hurricane. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Okay. By mid-September, the crew had moved to California. This is where we're shooting the uh, Raptors in the Kitchen on stage 24 of the Universal Lot. I do love this. Given that the kitchen was filled with reflective surfaces, the cinematographer, uh, Dean Cundy, had to carefully plan the illumination while also using black cloths to hide all the reflections of all the lights. (laughs) That's pretty funny. What a nightmare job. I can't even imagine. Um, Yeah, we moved to California, to Montana for the dig scenes, and then we go back to Universal to do Grant's rescue of Tim and the tree with the the Jeep falling down. Yeah, because that tree is fake as fuck. That's also the film's big... Like, I don't know if you ever look at, like, biggest continuity areas in your face favorite films and it's always that that cliff where they hang over when that jeep falls over them doesn't exist Mm -hmm. before that (laughs) okay Hmm. because when the t-rex comes out he's on level ground with what they where the cars are and then all of a sudden it's like a cliff (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know what we need a set piece i know i know um they moved back to warner brothers studios stage 16 to shoot the t-rex's attack on the suvs this was an issue because when the water from all the rain soaked the foam rubber skin on the dinosaur it caused the t-rex to shake and quiver from all the extra weight so so sam winston and tim filled up its crew to go in and whack the dinosaur model with chamois and chamois are basically a, it's a, fam- a fancy term i guess for chamois leather a porous leather cloth and they just went and you can watch them in these extra features they're just whacking this dinosaur with these cloths so- soaking up all the rain between takes <laughs> oh my god how did sham wow not lean into that i mean i guess they probably would have been sued but it's like hey it's good enough to get water off a dinosaur it's good enough to clean up your floor <laughs> Who the fuck knows, man? And then again, so we're we're filming out of sequence here because then we're doing the Dilophosaurus attack on Nedry. And that's, it sounds like it's kind of the last thing they did because then the shoot finished on stage 12 with the climactic chases with the Raptors in the park's computer room and the visitor center. The film wrapped 12 days ahead of schedule on November 30th. And within days, editor Michael Kahn had a rough cut ready, allowing Spielberg to go ahead with filming Schindler's List. (laughs) As you do. I just, I mean, talented people, man. Or people with just more time and energy. Mm-hmm. So for post-production, special effects works continued uh, with Tippett's unit adjusting to new technology uh, with dinosaur input devices. And these are models which fed information into computers to allow them to animate the characters like stop-motion dinosaurs. Hmm. 
Okay. I know. I'm kind of, honestly, it's one of those things where it works better if you can like see them doing this sure. while they're narrating it. <laughs> Mr. DNA, can you please explain how this all works? Well, okay. So here's the other thing, too. So for these special effects, compositing the dinosaurs into live action scenes took about an hour. Okay. Mm -hmm. Seems reasonable. Sure. Rendering the dinosaurs often took two to four hours per frame. Oh, my God. No. Joe, how many frames per second does film shoot in? <laughs> 24 this movie is two hours and six minutes long yeah so one second of film footage where we're doing these di the dinosaur rendering took anywhere from 48 to 96 hours yeah see and all of you fuckers want to complain about how that snake looks in anaconda i know <laughs> and oh. anaconda is after the <laughs> and here's the best thing rendering the t-rex in the rain took Ooh. six hours per frame and so, for the T-Rex, that is 144 hours for every second of footage it is on screen. And I'm just imagining, oh, I don't like the way that looks. We're going to need to edit something. <laughs> Motherfucker. <laughs> I just, and so, I mean, look, obviously we've come a long way. It's been 30 years since 1993. Mm -hmm. But again, you can see them really trying here. And when we complain about bad CGI, it's because I have to assume that more shortcuts have been made. Oh, sure. Mm -hmm. And you can still do it, like, really, really good. We've seen really good CGI, mm -hmm. but you can spot the bad ones. Yeah, and I mean, we had a whole extended conversation about Marvel movies, and part of the criticism is that Marvel doesn't give its animators enough time, so that's part of the reason why it looks janky and shitty, is because they're not given all of the time that Spielberg clearly was giving his team yep a hundred percent um oh also though <laughs> to add insult to injury um along with the digital effects spielberg wanted the film to be the first with digital sound so mm. he funded the creation of dts digital theater systems oh my god which we have to put th up with every time we go to see a movie now <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting a theatrical experience for sure now. Exactly. So the sound effects crew, which this one was supervised by George Lucas. Um, right. They were finished by the end of April. The movie comes out in June. Um, <laughs> during the process, Spielberg would take the weekends to fly from Poland to Paris, where he would meet his team to see the sound progress. Former ILM CG animator. So I mentioned Steve Williams. Now, I don't know if you saw this movie. So there was a movie that premiered at South by Southwest 2021 that was called Spaz. And mm -mm. this is a documentary. And it was because Steve Williams, his nickname was Spaz. And no one told them that was an ableist slur. I was <laughs> going to say. <laughs> so you can actually find this documentary now. It's called um, Jurassic Punk. Right. Okay. But it's basically about this guy, Steve Williams, and how he did a lot of the work on Jurassic Park, but didn't get the credit because... Oh. I don't know if you remember this, but when we talked about Deep Rising, there was this whole story about how a group of them went on George Lucas's ranch after hours yes. and had a party. They got mm -hmm. in trouble. This guy was the one that spearheaded that excursion. <gasps> The ringleader. Yes, yes. And so he was so... He was he was anarchy, like, basically. And so they were mm. like, you gotta get out of here, dude. <laughs> <laughs> dude, we are trying to make massive fucking movies. Uh, we cannot deal with your shit right now. But he said that it took nearly a year for the shots that involved CGI dinosaurs to be completed. Which, again, given the time hmm. stats we just said, that makes a lot of sense. Right. Wow. Okay. So... Jurassic Park was completed in the can on May 28th, 1993. 
Before it even comes out, Universal took the lengthy pre-production period to carefully plan the marketing campaign. So the marketing campaign itself was $65 million, and I believe yeah. the budget was just under that at 63 Which is wild. Can you imagine how much this... Well, we do know, because all you had to do was look at how much the Jurassic World movies cost to make, oh, but it's like, yeah. this would have been a $200 million movie. Well, and that's the thing, too. I think sometimes those those the CGI dinosaurs... Which, uh, granted, in the war movies, I think they look fine. But Mostly. I don't think they... They don't look fine by 2015 standards as this looked by 1993 standards. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so they made deals with 100 companies to market 1,000 products. And oh, shit. these included <laughs> three Jurassic Park video games by Sega and Ocean Software, a toy line by Kenner distributed by Hasbro, McDonald's dino-sized meals, and a novelization for young children. <laughs> <laughs> How to avoid being eaten by dinosaurs. Uh, I'm just like, so did they take... Crichton's book and just edit it down or did they some, did they just bring in a novelist to come in and just pgify the whole thing in a novel uh i imagine it was probably the latter because there are people who would actually do this like novelizations were actually quite a big thing at this time too so yeah. doing it for children isn't a big surprise i'm just imagining them crediting Crichton as like mikey Crichton wrote this children's novel oh my god <laughs> Okay, so Jurassic Park opens on Friday, June 11th, 1993, in about 2,400 theater locations and an estimated 3,400 screens. It was the only new wide release that weekend, so of course, unsurprisingly, it opened well, in the number one spot. Other people were terrified. <laughs> exactly. Oh, exactly. Well, because you know what opens the week after this is Last Action Hero, and that's a notorious Ooh. flop. Mm. And of course, now it's getting reappraised, but... I love that movie. I, I think it's really fun, too. It's so good. <laughs> it, it's underperformance, or I'm sorry, it's flopness, was blamed on <laughs> releasing it the week after Jurassic Park. <laughs> yeah. Come on, you had to know that this was going to be huge. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this gets the number one spot with $50.1 million, breaking the opening weekend record set by Batman Returns the year before. Ooh. It would hold this record for two years until 1995 when Batman Forever took it back. <laughs> <laughs> Batman dinosaurs. Batman dinosaurs. Upon opening, it was the first film to make $50 million in a single weekend, and it grossed $100 million in a record nine days and remained at the number one spot for three weeks. So as I said, second weekend, the only other new release was Last Action Hero, which flopped. The third week, it was in the number one spot. The other new releases were Sleepless in Seattle and Dennis Ooh. the Menace, both of which were sleeper hits of that summer. I was going to say both of those were hits. So yeah, clearly they legged it out. I well, Sleepers in Seattle opened to like seventeen million, and then went on to like leg it out to one hundred and thirty million dollars domestically. I was shocked by that, but Dennis the Menace being a big hit was kind of a surprise for me too. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that one has a bit more IP than we probably gave it credit, but I mean, yeah, that's Sleepless in Seattle. I mean, people obviously love oh, yeah. them that I pairing that but also that was back in the day when you could do that with a rom-com and those movies would just leg it out well it's because it's summer movie season right so it's big manly mm -hmm. it's counter program action exactly a hundred percent and when there's no other movie like that out well yeah that's everyone's gonna go see it yep all yep. right guess what movie knocked jurassic park out of the number one spot it's fourth weekend of release Ooh, 93 i'll give you one hint it is an r-rated movie Oh, okay. I'm going to guess it's something with Arnold. <laughs> no, it is a Tom Cruise, John Grisham thriller. <gasps> the Firm? The Firm. <laughs> oh, 
I haven't revisited that movie in a very long time, but I feel like that probably kind of holds up. That's the first John Christian book I ever read. I read it when I was in seventh grade, and um, the bulk of that book is describing his workload, and it's oh very God. stressful, but it's really good. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, Grisham is not for me. I just do not care for the writing. Give me a Crichton. Give me a Mikey Crichton any well, day. That's because my, my mom had all of his books because she's a lawyer. So, like, oh. she was mm-hmm. big into John Grisham. Those were her summer reads. Right. But um, also good beach reads. Yeah. Very much so. But yeah, so Jurassic Park goes on to gross $357 million domestically, uh, oh. ranking second of all time at the time behind E.T. Uh, <laughs> Poor Steven. I he just can't get a break. <laughs> It is estimated that, that it sold over 86.2 million tickets in the U.S. in its initial theatrical run. Hmm. You know what? The funny thing is, is like we're gawking over the money. I'm willing to bet that the toy and like ancillary oh. market stuff, it it was probably double or triple. A hundred percent. I mean, th- this was like whole sections of Toys R Us. My God. Reignited the dinosaur craze. Yeah. So it also did very well in in international markets. It was the first film to gross $500 million overseas, surpassing the, uh, here we go, surpassing the record $280 million overseas gross of E.T. So it did Mm. beat E.T. internationally. (laughs) There we go. Uh, All in all, it grossed $621.1 million overseas for a worldwide gross of $978.2 million, but... Since then, it has been re-released in theaters several times, including a 3D release. So its actual total box office as of now is $1.1 billion. I was going to say, you got to get it over that billion dollar mark. Yep. Uh, fun fact. Also, it sold 17 million VHS units, making it the fifth best-selling VHS tape ever at the time. Hmm. That's lower than I would have expected, but okay. Well, other fun fact. So the first time it was aired on television was May 7th, 1995. And here are some numbers for you. 68.12 million people tuned in to watch this. That is that is just so massive i can't believe it it was the highest rated theatrical film broadcast on television by any network since the april 1987 airing of trading places oh (laughs) not what i thought you were gonna say i know i love these silly facts i'm like oh my god isn't it because like i mean i know trading places i love trading places but i don't feel like it's also like it's talked about a lot no and maybe not in our circles at least but like but it's oh like it was the highest watched like theatrically released film on tv like at the time in 1987 Mm -hmm. Hmm. it's a critical success uh rotten tomatoes we got a 91 percent with an average rating of 8.4 out of 10 on metacritic it's got a score of 68 out of 100 which seemed kind of low to me uh cinema score audiences gave it an a and letterbox users have given this an 8.2 out of 10 correct um it won all three academy awards for which it was nominated which is best sound editing best sound mixing and best visual effects which funnily enough at the same ceremony (laughs) spielberg editor michael Kahn, and composer john williams won academy awards for (gasps) schindler's list right so it was a good year for mr spielberg i bet he did so many drugs (laughs) (laughs) to celebrate kate's like sweetie you have got to lay off the the sauce we need you back in production because i'm still suffering from that second indiana jones movie well i was like is he oh yeah i keep getting spielberg confused with james cameron because i was like well was he still married to linda hamilton at the time oh my god that was james completely (laughs) different white man how could you confuse two different white men like this who, who can say 
who can say? <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I'll close it out with this. So, of course, the, this film has a pretty significant legacy. Um, it's been cited by film critics and industry professionals as one of the greatest movies of the action and thriller genres. Also, to go back to my whole is it horror thing, the mm-hmm. MPAA at the time uh, rated this PG-13 for scary dino action, I'm guessing. Intense science fiction terror. <laughs> <laughs> print that on my fucking grave like yeah but you're right today it'd be like scary dino action <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah its biggest impact on subsequent films was a result of its breakthrough use of cgi it is regarded as a landmark for visual effects film historian tom Schoen said on the film's innovation and influence uh that in its way jurassic park heralded a revolution in movies as profound as the coming of sound in 1927 Hmm. I mean, yes. I, I guess personally, you you mentioned T two, and I yeah. would have kind of looked at that a little bit. But sure. Yeah, because what T two? I guess uh, they were just a year apart because that was also the summer of ninety two. I guess. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you know what? And they worked in tandem. There we go. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's uh let let's talk about this movie and what happens in it in case you didn't know sure yeah for all of you newbies out there this little movie (laughs) jurassic park you've never heard of so i'm gonna start by just giving reference to a video essay that you and i both watch by cold crash pictures called Mm -hmm. saurian cinema gender and jurassic park obviously this is an audio uh Obviously, this is a YouTube video, so I don't have direct quotes that I'm going to be using, but uh, I found this piece very helpful for helping me to filter some of my, I guess, considerations of sex and gender and the family unit in the film. Well, and actually, I did pull one quote from this guy because okay. uh, he, he well, and this is even about the film, but it's more so about how he talks about film criticism because right. he talks <laughs> about the difference between um, formal film criticism and uh, nerdy, angry fanboys. And <laughs> in defending different reads of him, because again, yeah, he goes into gender. He goes into uh, uh, sexuality, well, not, not really sexuality, but like gender and sex issues mm-hmm. in it. But right. he says... And this is kind of a, a much more eloquent way of saying what we have said for the past five years, Joe. But you can apply formal film criticism to anything. Explore any idea with any film. You don't have to wait around for a movie to provide you with a specific reading. You can do that on your own and thereby expand the discourse in an infinite number of ways. For example, you could do a feminist reading of 1957's The Land Unknown, a postmodern reading of the 2005 adaptation of A Sound of Thunder, a Marxist reading of 1977's Planet of the Dinosaurs. You're not asking if a film is feminist, postmodern, or Marxist. You are just using these theoretical frameworks as a way to explore the wider implications of a specific school of thought within the context of a kick-ass subject like Jurassic Park. Excellent. Can you please make sure that you put that into the bloody disgusting post so that when people inevitably come at us for A, calling this a horror film, or B, suggesting any part of this movie is queer, (laughs) they can just go fuck themselves. I've already created a keyboard shortcut for this entire quote (laughs) that I will just start pasting (laughs) on every single comment. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) Yes, direct your hate at this this eloquent man on YouTube and not us. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's talk about this movie. Mm -hmm. So we open on 
Isla Nublar at night. We've got these armed men, and they are moving some kind of dangerous animal into a pen. And as I mentioned before, a black man is immediately killed, despite Game Warden Muldoon, who is played by Bob Peck. Uh, he does try to save him, but yes, this man tragically expires. I will say, and look, I, I, this opening did scare the crap out of me when I was a kid. I, I have, mm -hmm. like... Like Muldoon's shoot ha, like imprint shoot her. It's imprinted in my mind, and like the mm -hmm. shot of the guy's hand squeezing Ooh. through the other guy, like yeah. But at the same time, doesn't this feels like Jaws two? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like it's like oh, let me do like a, a good grabber of an opening scene. Sure. And unfortunately, nothing can really match Jaws for me. But yeah, I think this opening is fine. It's very much a we promise. There's dinosaurs. Exactly. We're just not going to show them to you just yet. This movie mm -hmm. really holds back as long as it possibly can. Oh, I don't think we even see the raptors up mm -hmm. until, like, Muldoon's dot death. Yes? Which, yes. that's the last 20 minutes of the movie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what we're saying is Jurassic Park, famous for edging. Yep, very much so. Very much so. <laughs> All right, so after this cold open, we cut to clumsy lawyer De Niro, who is played by Martin Ferrero, arriving at an amber mine, and he is declaring that the investors want an investigation of this island, and what he really wants is Dr. Alan Grant. So, okay, but Gennaro doesn't seem to know that they're making dinosaurs on this island. Uh, I think he does he just hasn't actually seen what they look like or the shape of the island you very much get the impression he has never come on site so i think he understands it in principle but not in practice maybe it's one of those things where it's like yeah sure dinosaurs uh-huh right. and then he sees it and like, oh it's real <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's thinking animatronics or in his words auto erotica <laughs> oh <laughs> i pinned that too <laughs> I was like, oh, is that our cue that this guy's a fucking idiot? I like this lawyer so much. Oh, I relate sure. to this man. I mean, this is very much a day and age where it was easy. It was an easy job to say, like, there's a lawyer. Let's make fun of him because we all hate lawyers, right? Oh, uh huh. And I think De Niro, in some ways, is very much the stereotype of what we would expect a lawyer to be. 100%. But he's not like a hissable villain. He's just, no. he's just, he's like, oh, I see dollar signs. And exactly. Unfortunately, he is killed for not wanting to care for these children. But you know what? Um, mm -hmm. I relate. <laughs> well, this is the thing. If you're not going to protect these kids, then you must pay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so we move to the Badlands of Montana. We're at an archaeological dig of a velociraptor. And this is where we're introduced to our doctor protagonist. So we have Dr. Grant, played by Sam Neill, as well as Dr. Ellie Sattler, who was played by queer icon Laura Dern, immediately <laughs> making this movie extremely gay-friendly. Also pointed out to me, um, she is the only adult female character in any part of this film. Yeah, so that to me was honestly the biggest takeaway of that Cold Crash Pictures YouTube. <laughs> it had never occurred to me. Apparently, even if you look in the background, there are no other adult women in this movie. Yeah. Well, except for the dinosaurs traits. Well, and what are all the dinosaurs? But, well, I say monsters. Steven Spielberg says animals. So they're just mm -hmm. female animals. 
There we go. Yes. <laughs> okay, so Dr. Grant gives us a little bit of definition about how dinosaurs were actually more like birds, as we've described. And I like this because, particularly from a queer reading or a gendered reading, mm -hmm. this malleability, the fluidity, if you will, of language and the way that we come to define things, I think is very interesting i agree and i'm sure we'll have more to talk about that when we get to some later events of this film no no this is it this, yeah, is, this is all we're gonna say about it <laughs> <laughs> okay so uh grant has a lovely moment where we learn he's not very good with children uh this child who is terrible and we're meant to hate him because he's stupid is played by wit hertford and uh yeah you know this is basically just here to prove that dr grant does not know how to deal with children well but it's also here to be like because i i don't know if velociraptors were very like i mean like everyone knew the t-rex that's why the t-rex <laughs> is the star of this film but i oh, really sure. feel like this movie popularized the velociraptor Yes, you're right. So this does give us important information about how they worked, and then Muldoon will fill in how they hunt later so that we understand the whole end of the film. Yeah, yeah. Which, but, I mean, these I love the... Any oh, sure. scene in any of these movies with velociraptors is my favorite part of the film all, all the time. I can't recall. I'm hoping that you saw it somewhere in the special effects on the sound design. Was it whales that they used for the sound? Ooh, um, I don't know about the raptors. I know they had an elephant for the T-Rex. Okay. Hmm. Okay. Well, folks, let us know if you happen to know off the top of your head. But yeah, I mean, I do think that specifically the raptor sound, which kind of sounds like the hissing of air brakes to me, it's uh, pretty iconic. But you also, I can't do it, but it's like the, oh, oh, <laughs> <laughs> that, that they will emulate in Jurassic Park 3 when they mold a larynx from one of the velociraptors so they can communicate with them. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. It's no. like a little, like a little whistle thing that Grant blows into it. It makes the velociraptor sound so he can communicate with them. Okay. I know. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me again how the third film is actually good. I don't know. Oh, also, I, I found your answer. Dolphin screams. Okay. Walrus is bellowing. Oh. And what I've just learned recently, geese hissing. <laughs> yes. Well, welcome to the wonderful world of geese. Yeah. I have a family of geese that lives near me, and they do not like my dogs. <laughs> no, they're... They will kill you if you get if you get too close to them. They will hurt you. Uh, oh, we also have tortoise mating also in the raptor sounds. By the way, I don't know what that means, and I don't want to find out. Well, so you can actually go look up tortoises fucking, and when they no. come, they they scream, they scream. It's really bizarre. <laughs> okay, well that's your your fun fact from the biological corner of the podcast. <laughs> Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right. So a helicopter arrives. This is delivering John Hammond, played by Richard fucking Attenborough, who is amazing in this role. This is his first film role acting role in like, I want to say 13, maybe 17 years because he was doing a lot of directing during the 80s. 
okay yes 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 it's funny because i feel like a whole generation would only know him from things like the blue planet and other Mm -hmm. things yeah whereas i'm like oh it's the guy that directed the film adaptation of a chorus line right also that yeah (laughs) you know what he is diverse well actually i think he's dead now but we're not going to speak ill of him the way we are of michael Crichton. he contained multitudes there we go and in this film he is the financier of all of this work I love how he seems like he's a nice guy, but actually he's kind of financially blackmailing them by saying, hey, I will scratch your back by funding the dig for another three years if you come to my island biological preserve and give it a green check mark. Well, okay, that's that was kind of my question, because we're about to get to the Nedry of it all. And mm-hmm. Nedry thinks he's not getting paid enough. Yes. Okay, I- I'm actually really curious to know if he wasn't getting paid enough. <laughs> I mean, the workload that he is doing, like the responsibility that he has for the safety of the park does sound massive. But at the same time, you can't tell me unless we're meant to take Hammond's repeated refrain that he spared no expense. Oh, my God. (laughs) That's (laughs) the drinking game. (laughs) Right. Like, unless we're meant to believe that that only applies to things that the guests would encounter and it doesn't apply to the, say paychecks of the people working at the park it seems unlikely i think the unfortunate thing is i think there's a very easy read of fat phobia in this movie where Mm -hmm. dennis nedry is a fat man who is greedy and he ends up fucking everyone into the ground because he just wants to get paid 1.5 million dollars but that was the thing i was like wait so his job being this coding mastermind for this Mm -hmm. billion dollar enterprise at least yeah He's leaving for $1.5 million. So how much was he getting paid? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, probably not that much in a flat fee. And it's like, he would take this and run, right? I mean, because he'd be accused of corporate espionage, which is effectively what he's doing Mm -hmm. when he meets with Dr. Lewis Dodgson, who is played by Cameron Thor. Of course, we haven't mentioned Nedry is obviously played by Wayne Knight, who most people know from Seinfeld. Uh, But do you know what made Spielberg notice him? I do not. His role in (gasps) Basic Basic Instinct. Instinct. Yes! (laughs) You know what? Because he is appropriately sleazy in that movie, too. Mm -hmm. Very much so. (laughs) I mean, I I would argue, I mean, look, again, child me, his death scene is the most memorable part of this film that imprinted on my brain. Which I love for you because it is definitely scary, but it's also one of the moments in the film where we cut away and the violence is all implied. So there's something about the frilled lizard thing, which Mm -hmm. the Dilophosaurus, which I I think maybe they use like rattlesnake sounds for for Mm -hmm. it, even though it doesn't make any sense. Is it very primal? Is it activating the reptilian part of your brain? It's, I mean, look, it's when he gets in that car and like we're we're staying on there, but then like in the corner of this frame, you see the frill come up. Mm It's It's so scary. (laughs) And then it's like, ooh, if this Jeep is rocking, don't come a knocking. Oh, God. Yeah, exactly that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so so Nedry is going to steal samples of all of these dinosaurs, which, again, we have not seen any of yet. Mm -mm. But uh, yeah, he's got a very limited window. So it's kind of like, ooh, things are all going to happen on this one weekend. I love that. Island setting, we're Mm -hmm. trapped there. Sure, why not? Honestly, it's Agatha Christie with dinosaurs. Yes, it is! Ah, good. (laughs) 
All right, so we're introduced to another significant character, mathematician Dr. Ian Malcolm, played by Jeff Goldblum. And I love that he is described by Hammond as having a deplorable excess of personality. And most of Goldblum's lines in this opening scene is him going, (laughs) (laughs) He is eating scenery in this movie, and it's no wonder that he becomes this beloved character i remember when i was a kid i was so mad he was the lead in the sequel because i was like i want grant and ellie man, 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 man. Right. but he really does have charisma for days oh my god i mean the memes alone of <laughs> giant malcolm with his shirt open <laughs> from the end of this movie oh i got the vapors i mean jeff goldblum looks really good here he's he's got the same charisma as he did in the fly only he's lost the back part of the mullet jeff goldblum has never looked unattractive to me even today i would still get on that okay okay i do not care for the way he is styled in the marvel movie this is apparently a marvel adjacent conversation (laughs) we're just going to keep having um I don't like the way he's been styled lately, but I mean, he's always very iconic and he's always delivering the goods. Like he knows what property he is in at all times. He um he, he does a lot, of, a lot of guest spots on TV. So like, I don't know if you yes. ever watch Portlandia, but like he, I think he, I think he looks really good when he pops up in Portlandia. Uh, I don't like Portlandia, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> I will counter with um, Search Party. He was good in that. Oh, you know what? I don't like Shorts Party. So there you go. (laughs) There we go. Okay. Agree to disagree. (laughs) Okay. So um, we kick in this infamous score as we are in this helicopter flying over the island. And then we learn, okay, we're going to hit turbulence. So everybody has to buckle up in case you're like, oh my God, you're so late into the pod. Why are you talking about this innocuous event? (laughs) It's because Grant has to use two female belt buckles because they don't match but he makes it work because life finds a way and also because ladies be banging in this movie yes i honestly so this is my first time noticing that and i i I mean it has to be intentional on spielberg's part right 100 percent. okay yeah yeah also i love that in a way grant is styled almost like a western superhero like he, well, he's he got kind of like a john wayne sort of vibe in the way that he's styled with the handkerchief and the wide brim hat and the fact that we basically have to turn this super masculine man into not just a family man but somebody who actively will take care of children like we basically have to emasculate him over the course of this film well and i love that you go for um western john wayne when i'm just like it's indiana jones oh it is also <laughs> yeah yeah Okay, so we move through the park via electronic Jeep, and we're noting that there's lots of security. So we've got concrete moats, motion systems, an electrified Mm -hmm. fence. The Jeeps stop at a clearing so that we can see the Brontosaurus. This is our introduction to dinosaurs in the movie. And it inspires awe for the doctors and dollar signs for Gennaro. This, I mean... this is kind of an iconic sequence. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I feel like when you see clips from Jurassic Park, it's either something to do with the raptors at the end of the film or this where Dr. Grant, you know, stands up, he turns Ellie's head. It's very masculine, mm-hmm. blah, but whatever. So yeah, I, I'm going to reference a book that this Cold Crash Pictures video uh, references a lot. Uh, and it's called Framing Monsters, Fantasy Film and Social Alienation. And it was written by Joshua David Bellin in 2005. Um, 
just a primer for the quotes we're going to give. Uh, it's basically what he does in this book is he gives a gendered analysis of Jurassic Park. Basically a close reading on the film that focuses on how it frames, codes, and editorializes gender. So one of the first quotes I want to pull is he says, <laughs> uh, Jurassic Park is a coded call to suppress female reproductive autonomy and for men to take their rightful natural places as heads of the patriarchal nuclear family. He argues that both the narrative and the camera work, and this is what's key for this scene right here, prioritize male vision, male thought, and male agency. Women are belittled, mocked, and even punished for attempting the same. Men cause all the problems, but they also fix them when they're the ones the problems are supposed to be fixed for. And Hmm. the visual language and I, again, I don't i don't know if i fully agree with all of these things this guy is saying because while it is emblematic in this scene where it's like oh like we're seeing this entire thing through alan grant's eye whereas ellie's just focusing on a plant because she's a paleobotanist which again mm -hmm. it makes sense but she's always behind grant she's supporting grant she's in the same frame as grant but it's always grant in the front her in the back supporting the man in the scene so i get it in this scene i get the argument for this scene but this I feel like it's just kind of the fact that Ellie Sattler is a very strong, um, tomboyish woman in this film. Yeah, and the video actually does a good job of contrasting a lot of what Bellin is saying and kind of saying, oh, like, here, let me show you five other examples where that doesn't actually apply. It's kind of bad academic research for Bellin when mm -hmm. he's kind of picking and choosing the things that he wants to highlight because they reinforce his thesis as opposed to looking at the whole of the film. I yeah. mean, I was guilty of that when i was doing my studies as well but i think that's definitely one way to read this movie i choose to read this movie as the wrath of women and them getting back at the patriarchy where it's like here's an island full of female dinosaurs who will literally change sex to get what they need to do and they will eat all of these human men yeah a hundred percent. Well, and again, like a lot of this, what he's like, oh, all the women are just screaming the whole time. And it's like, yeah, but they also have moments where they're not screaming and they're fine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And like, okay, so do we want to talk about how Gennaro literally runs away and abandons a car full of kids so that he can go sit on the shitter and then get eaten like it? I mean, the movie knows that he's a pathetic figure, but it's mm -hmm. also like, well, it's not like all the men are super hyper-masculine or something no but even going back to what you're saying about you know oh we have to kind of emasculate alan grant to like make him more of a father figure i actually really appreciate that it's a man that has to go through this because mm -hmm. i mean didn't we just talk about an evil dead rise on patreon where it's like oh we're so tired of these woman woman that doesn't like kids doesn't want to be a mother has to learn yes. to be a mother and has to learn to like kids i was like that that, that is the narrative we see all the time and yes. it's not to say it doesn't happen with men in film but it's much rarer yeah it feels like we're seeing it all the time with women because women are meant to be maternal they're the life bringers and all this other jazz and yeah i mean i think it's interesting that this movie is still very much about the family right like we're in a way meant to create a nuclear family by the end of the film with doctors sattler and grant as well as tim and lex but yeah, like most of the journey is about Dr. Grant realizing, oh, I can like kids. Which even with Ellie, though, because here's the thing. She's good with the kids, but I would never mm -hmm. call her maternal. 
Um, no, not really. Uh, well, unless we're talking about the Triceratops, in which case, yes, right. she is maternal towards that thing. Well, and then she's doing her fucking job. As you said, she's a paleobotanist. So she's there on the case looking through poop trying to find the answers. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So we arrive at this welcome center, and this is where <laughs> Dr. Grant jokes that they might soon be out of a job. Extinction. <laughs> and then we go into a theater and we see an instructional video narrated by Mr. DNA, who is voiced by Greg Burson. And I have to say, Trace, I don't know how how far back your computer skills go, but did you ever see Clippy? Oh, yeah, the, the helper guy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I, who Mr. DNA reminds me of. Uh, you know, that's 100% correct. Um, also, I feel, I, mean, I didn't understand what this was as a kid. I was like, I was like, boo, this is boring, but it was kind of cool because it's a cartoon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny because the whole reason they did it this way is so that it would entertain children and maybe get across like, oh, this is how we made dinosaurs from DNA. I know, okay, but the animation style is like that Schoolhouse Rock animation, and I it fucking is. hate that Schoolhouse Rock animation. Oh. You have such peculiar distaste. I'm so picky with my animation. I'm really picky God. with it. <laughs> keep that stop motion out of you. Keep that schoolhouse rocks out of you. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. It is aesthetically unappealing to my eyes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, so the doctors are obviously very interested to learn more about how we actually did this. They don't just want to take this ride to go past the auto-erotica scientists that they're watching. They want to get in there. So they break free of the ride, which to me, again, foreshadowing, right? Like, I mean, because, well, <laughs> okay, as you said, like when we get here, oh, we're, we're listing and showing all the security measures. Oh, they can just lift the bar up on this ride. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's three adults pushing a bar. They cannot be contained. Life will find a way, Trace. <laughs> So uh, at this point, we are also ever so briefly introduced to future series villain, Dr. Henry Wu, played by B.D. Wong, out gay actor. Yeah, out gay actor. This is his only scene. Does he even this show up again? This is his only scene. Oh, God, he looks so hot, though. He does look really hot. I really hate cause that, what they did to him in those Jurassic World movies. I cannot. Oh, they did him fucking dirty. Which, I mean, granted, I think he dies in the book. So it's like, well, I guess he lives. But still, <laughs> like yeah oh yeah it's really annoying yeah so this is where we learn that all the dinosaurs are female yes they are all female so they are genetically controlled to be female and malcolm says oh no you can't you can't be serious this will not work and everybody's like no no it'll be fine and then we just kind of move on so we're planting that seed and we will come back to it later so more gender stuff from mr bellin and he says you know the film presents men as prideful violators of the natural order um but it celebrates the right of the patriarchy to rule a female world depicted as chaotic and unpredictable and i also love this quote he goes the abdication of the paternal role men's trifling and reproduction outside the nuclear unit has loosed a band of screeching harpies <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> who rend and tear those foolish enough to court them. I don't want to be presumptuous, but has this man ever gotten laid? Because he sounds like he hates women. He sounds like he's not friendly towards women or that a woman maybe hurt him really bad and he's decided to take it out on the entire gender. Um, right. But <laughs> I, mean, I don't see it that way at all. Like, I mean, I don't even know why we would use the word screeching harpies to describe these uh, dinosaurs. dinosaurs. But I would argue that, yeah, like, this is a bit of a cautionary tale, not just about playing God with science and thinking mm -hmm. that you can just recreate extinct species, 
but also it's like hey men be careful if you try to control women they will literally break out and eat your ass i would also argue i mean look if we want to go into the trans reading of this film you could say hey maybe don't try to control someone else's gender or bodies or yeah. biological yeah exactly like because uh, they should be able to do what they want and if you if you try to control it they're going to eat you Mm-hmm. Yes. Honestly, I, I definitely subscribe to this is a queer rage movie. Yeah, I could totally see that. Okay, so in this scene, we do get to witness the birth of a dinosaur, and this is when we learn that we have been breeding velociraptors. So we ignore the lunch, which sounded very appetizing. Uh, right. <laughs> I was like, I would like to eat that. He's like with a fucking like five star gourmet chef. I'm like, uh, sign me up, please. Can you serve me mm -hmm. a dinosaur? <laughs> Ew, I, it's no. probably good so fatty no, thank you <laughs> so uh they yes they eschew lunch so that they can go and watch a cow being fed to the raptors again we're not seeing anything we're just seeing motion i love this way of teasing and drawing it out because we've seen now a velociraptor skeleton that we've dug up we've seen the baby velociraptor and we see what they're capable of so we are just like building anticipation to the reveal well and you know what's funny because again clearly when i was younger i never really paid attention much to muldoon's whole speech because you know oh, they, they run 50 60 miles an hour they're astonishing jumpers they show mm -hmm. intelligence and problem solving skills um yeah. the, the big females of the queen they're testing the fences blah 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 joe do you know mm -hmm. what this reminds me of <laughs> what does it remind you of thomas jane warning what's her face british bitch in deep blue uh -huh. sea a hundred percent. Even the opening of this, I definitely think that Rennie Harlan and I mean, I'm sorry, I should be crediting whoever wrote Deep Blue Sea. Yeah. But I'm just going to say Rennie Harlan. It definitely seems like Deep Blue Sea wasn't so much doing Jaws as it was actually doing Jurassic Park. Exactly. Well, and that's the thing, too, because we've talked about this wave of creature features that happened in the mid-90s, and mm -hmm. I never attributed that to Jurassic it's Park. It's 100% this movie, it's right? Jurassic Park! Yeah. <laughs> and folks, if you want to hear us talk over Deep Blue Sea, we literally have an audio commentary of it as oh, well. We've got one on Anaconda, too, and we've got an episode on Deep Rising. We like creature features, people. Just get used to it. Love the creature features, honestly. So good. Okay, so we do finally get to lunch, and this is where we have our kind of moral, ethical debate so uh Gennaro is all about like oh we can charge whatever the fuck we want and hammond is like no we're gonna make it so that anyone can come and see these because it, it's a very interesting idea right Gennaro wants us to be for rich people essentially and hammond says no no poor people also need to be able to come but mostly because he's a fucking narcissist and he wants the adulation of everyone for what he has accomplished. <laughs> and meanwhile, then we've got these scientists who are asking the questions, hey, should we have even done this? Oh, Ian Malcolm saying what you say is this I call the rape of the natural world. <laughs> yeah, which again... For an all-female dinosaur population, it's a very pointed criticism. Yes. Very careful use of language. A hundred percent. Meanwhile, though, it's back, back for the mosquitoes, uh, the only person Hammond has on his side is the blood-sucking lawyer. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, too much adult time. Let's be real. This park is dedicated to people who would appreciate it. Folks like his grandkids. So we bring in dinosaur enthusiast Tim, who is played by Joseph Mazzello, as well as hacker teenager Lex, played by Ariana Richards, and Trace Lex... She looks familiar. Have we seen her in another creature feature? We have seen her in another creature feature, everyone. So she is, of course, Mindy in Tremors. And 
I didn't realize this. She actually returns to that role playing the same character in Tremors 3 Back to Perfection, which was filmed, uh, what, seven years after Jurassic Park? But I don't think mm-hmm. she acts anymore, though. Right. Yes. I just think it's it's really funny. Like, she's in a couple of really iconic franchise starters. Yeah. Honestly, though, it's really nice because, you know, whenever child actors, like, leave the industry, I was, I'm always kind of like, oh, I wonder if they're just, like, disillusioned with it. Mm-hmm. But watching both her and Mazzello, and Mazzello has continued acting. He's not, like, a huge name, but, like, like he was in The Social Network. He was in The Pacific oh. and a bunch of other shit. Okay. Yeah. Oh, he actually, wait, one second. He was in something literally, like, last year. Um, oh, he was in Bohemian Rhapsody what wild yeah. okay but both of them I, I i think they were doing bonus features for like maybe a dvd release or a blu-ray but like they're obviously adults now mm-hmm. um and they they're, they're, <laughs> yes. they, they're just well, they're really really excited to talk about the film they don't seem like they're kind of like just doing the like going oh, they're through. not jaded they're yeah. not just coming back for the <laughs> yeah. for the dollar signs exactly exactly <laughs> here's the thing I don't always love child actors because I think sometimes the performances can be either a little broad or shrill or something. I like both these kids. Yeah, no, I think they're great. I, and again, even Lexi, who again, I, it's a thing where it's like, what, the Emmanuel Shrieky and Wrong Turn, like the, I can't go on, I'm mm-hmm. whining. She could, she could be that role. Yeah, that's not her. But she's not. Like, she's just like, I mean, she screams, she's scared because she's behaving like a fucking 11-year-old would in these situations. Mm-hmm. But I, all the time, I always want them to make it out. I'm not like, oh, get off my screen, kids. And right. I would even argue that a lot of the film's success in terms of its scarier moments are because it's things that are happening to kids. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we're putting kids in danger because we don't have female characters to put in danger like, <laughs> like we normally would in a horror film. <laughs> But you're right. I mean, like, it's children lost in this park. And I feel like Jurassic World tries to recreate this. But it's not nearly as successful for me because these kids, well, you know, Tim knows this world. He knows these dinosaurs, but he doesn't know how to deal with them in real life. Yeah. And then Lex is completely out of her depth, which is why I attribute her to doing more screaming and panicking. A hundred percent. Yeah. But also, I'm sorry, if I were in either one of these kids' positions at my current age of 34, I I would be the exact same. I'd be screaming my head off. (laughs) I'd be Gennaro, where I would leave the vehicle, try to hide in a toilet, and just be eaten. I would be out. You know, my entire life, I thought he was actually shitting on that toilet. Like, I thought he got- I thought he got so scared he had to shit- and but when the dinosaur gets him he's clearly wearing his pants <laughs> he is here's the thing he and Muldoon are wearing shorts throughout this movie mm-hmm. i gotta say with Muldoon, i'm appreciative yeah big mm-hmm. thighs save lives but um with with Gennaro, i always thought that i was seeing leg because his pants were down around his ankles not realizing it was that he was wearing shorts yep a hundred percent so, mystery solved. There, we did it. No shit in this... Well, I'm sorry, no human shit in this I was this gonna movie. say, oh, there's quite a bit of shit now. <laughs> okay. Um, so, yes, we're gonna leave on a tour. So, we get to see the control room for the first time. We're introduced to Mr. Arnold, who is played by Samuel L. Jackson. We are tracking a storm coming in, so we're laying a lot of groundwork. This movie has a very good sense of how to place something so that we can reference it and come back to it later. Oh, yeah. Um, Chekhov's hurricane. Chekhov's Mm -hmm. electric fence. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Chekhov's velociraptors. The claw. The claw. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so we take off in two different cars. We've got Gennaro, as well as the kids in the first one, and then all three of the doctors in the second one. 
we go to the Dilophosaurus, don't see one. We go on to the T-Rex paddock, don't see it. Don't so see it. we just keep delaying the reveal of these dinosaurs, and it's really good. Well, because honestly, I, I'm sure I did this when I was watching this on VHS, but I could also see people in the theater, like, actively looking up and craning mm-hmm. their heads in the theater, trying to see, what, like, if there's anything in, 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 the, in the paddocks. Right? Which, again, to me, is why this is a horror film, because we're using negative space yeah. and tension to just draw it out, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we're constantly waiting for a dinosaur to appear and threaten these characters. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, this movie has one of my absolute favorite jump scares that I'll talk about when we get to it. <laughs> okay. So coming back to the gender part of the podcast, we've got Muldoon telling people, okay, they're coming up to the T-Rex panic. Everybody shut up. And then we got Ellie making this fantastic gender joke when Malcolm kind of runs through the, <laughs> okay, we've got God creates dinosaurs and then dinosaurs go extinct and blah, blah, blah. I love the punchline of mm-hmm. this joke where she just goes, women inherit the earth. Yeah. Yeah. Dinosaurs eat, man. Women inherit the earth. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, it's just so funny. Even as a kid, I thought that was funny. Right? You're like, this is a joke even children will understand (laughs) okay so uh then we get the brief exposition about how chaos theory works if you've ever read the book you got a shit ton more than this but basically it's just the idea that there can be minute changes in everyday life that will lead to unpredictable results yeah which honestly um he mentioned the butterfly effect and i was like well how Mm -hmm. is that related but yeah but it absolutely like i also was i the only one that found this very erotic when he was dropping this water on her hand oh 100 percent. this is a seduction tactic <laughs> also i love that a sound of thunder is a reference that we kind of make because right like that's another that, that's a butterfly movie. effect movie <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry it's, it's i think it's based on a ray bradbury novel maybe it is but yeah like it, it's it's kind of what 65 is where we're traveling into the right. past not another world but uh yeah we basically go back to dinosaur times yeah 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 okay so we get out of the car because we're gonna go and investigate this triceratops who is sick but we're also cross-cutting so this movie does a lot of cross-cutting between what's happening at the control center and then what's happening out in the world of the park so we're seeing that nedry is starting to make his move so sick triceratops okay it's something in their diet this doesn't really get resolved okay it's just an excuse to separate ellie from the rest of the group okay i'm glad that you mentioned that because i had it in my head i was like no she finds the berries and it's shit or they do find mm-hmm. out what's making it sick i want to know nope. what's making this triceratops sick <laughs> yeah i feel like this is a plot point from the book that does have an explanation i do feel like it actually is that they it's because they've been getting out of their pens and they've been able to get into other parts of the park, if I remember correctly. But um, yeah, in the movie, we don't get any kind of satisfying conclusion. Spielberg was like, no one cares about that. Meanwhile, 30 years later, Trace Thurman's on a podcast going, I want to fucking know. <laughs> the people have a right to know. <laughs> okay, so Ellie decides she's going to stay behind with this random doctor guy who's looking at the poop. And Muldoon says, okay, the storm is coming in. We need to end this tour. And this is when Nedry makes his exit. So he has 20 minutes 
to get these dinosaur embryos into his shaving cream canister and get down to the east dock or else the boat will leave and he will not get his money. So he tells everybody in the control room, hey, something's going to power up. There might be some glitches. It'll only last for about 20 minutes. Goodbye. This this man is the worst liar. and it's terrible. <laughs> but it just goes to show how little Hammond thinks of him that he doesn't read anything into this. <laughs> Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, in a way, it's kind of foolproof because they already think he's a bit of a dunderhead because there's all these glitches already. So he's just saying, hey, uh, I'm trying to fix it. There's probably going to be some really obvious ones. So they don't think more of it. But also, the minute that you see those fucking fences go down, it's like, uh, this is a huge problem. Yeah, a huge problem. <laughs> I do think it's funny that we get a specific line later that says even Nedry knew not to fuck with the Velociraptor. Oh, yes. Yeah. I like that, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> T-Rex is apparently A-OK. Well, <laughs> it's probably because there's a cliff that just appears there. He's like, well, I can't climb over the cliff. Right. Um, <laughs> I, but one of my favorite shots actually is this T-Rex where we see the claw kind of mm-hmm. toy with the fence for a second. I really like that. I mean, honestly, if there's one argument in this entire movie that this is a queer film, it is that, like, lazy wrist of that (laughs) T-Rex. You don't want to say limp wrist? Is that that too coded for you? (laughs) It's a limp wrist, yeah. You know what? Here, I'm done with this leg of goat. Here, have it. Okay, so yes, uh, this is when we start to realize, oh shit, the fences are out, that T-Rex can come through. Gennaro bails, runs off to the toilets, Lex starts to panic, and this is when Grant is like, okay, you know what, I'm going to take control of the situation, I'm going to grab a flare, it'll be okay. This, okay, but like... I love when he's like, don't move, it's gonna be fine. But then you can just see the kid's card in the front with that fucking light just shining mm-hmm. out of it. This is, I mean, this is such good suspense in this scene. Like, it gets mm-hmm. scary later, but this is just like edge of your seat. Like, oh my god, what's gonna happen? Stop it, kid! Stop it, stop it, stop it! <laughs> yeah, like, I remember being frustrated with Lex that she doesn't turn off the flashlight faster. Because you just see this thing pointing in all directions as this fucking T-Rex is coming out. <laughs> but it's great, right? I mean, sometimes you just fumble and you drop things or you're not very fast when you're very, very fucking scared. Mm-hmm. The stuff that happens to the kids in this scene. I mean, like, it, honestly, it's it, the second it busts through the moon roof and it's like, mm-hmm. oh, I... I, I I can't even, like, describe how effective all of this is. It's so good. Like, this is the first big action set piece of this film, right? We got a taste of it in the opener, but this is really the big reveal, right? It's not just we're seeing the T-Rex, we're actually seeing her in motion. My favorite part is, yes, when the snout breaks down through the roof, Mm -hmm. and it breaks off a part of it so that you you understand that roof will not hold oh yeah if if it gets another chance it will crack and it flips it over they're sinking in this mud it is Mm -hmm. that shot of tim just like peering out and screaming as they're being pressed down and then we just cut back to the control room yeah Ooh. (laughs) i mean and and the funny thing is like this is an hour into this two-hour movie so like Mm -hmm. again this fun summer action blockbuster it's really an hour of dialogue and science jargon and you know, little yeah. character moments and 
Um, I think that's why I remember the second half so much more because as a kid, like that's what drew me in. But, right. And again, to go back to this whole thing where it's like, I love that. Yeah, Steven Spielberg's like, no, like the, the the first big scary set piece we're gonna have. These kids are getting put through hell, which is actually really surprising because if you think about it, we introduce the kids quite late in this movie as well. They've only been in the movie at, for twenty minutes at this point. They come in at the forty minute mark, right? So basically, at the at the end of Act One, beginning of Act Two, that's when the kids come in, which is wild because I care so deeply because these are the only kids in the entire film you know obviously i don't want anything to happen to dr grant or dr malcolm but they're kids i could take her leave him he's about to get eaten anyway but yeah it's just the film understands that we are going to be more worried for the health and safety of these kids than any other adult i think again a, a hurdle with things like this in most movies especially horror films is that i'm kind of like but you're not going to kill a kid because kids have mm -hmm. plot armor. And even though Lexi and Tim do not die in this movie, right? there are many moments where I really was, oh, no, they could die. They could die mm -hmm. here. Yeah, like even I remember when the fence bit happens with mm -hmm. Tim, I thought, could we kill a child? Um, also hmm. talk about really good suspense, but also that that part where he flies off also screwed mm -hmm. the crap out of me as a kid. I hated it. Oh, okay. Hated it. <laughs> I mean, he's lucky that he didn't just hang on and melt. I mean, he just could let go. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's really high up. Okay, so as this is happening, we have also learned that Arnold is unable to make his way through the program. So he is unable to undo Nedry's hacker shit. And um, yeah, then Malcolm gets tossed by this dinosaur en route to eating Gennaro off the toilet. This is good, though. I love this. Um, I do want to point out, too, for the because, uh, you know, the iconic glass, the, the, the water, the cup of water that's rippling at the T-Rex oh, is yeah. coming. Mm -hmm. So the ripples were inspired by Steven Spielberg listening to Earth, Wind and Fire in his car. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and the vibrations of the bass rhythm uh, that he saw like in his car. So they were unsure how to create the shot until the night before filming when they put a glass of water on a guitar someone was playing, which mm. then achieved the concentric circles in the water that Spielberg wanted. So the next morning, guitar strings were put inside the car and a man on the floor plucked them to achieve the ripple effect. That is wild. <laughs> so simple, but so fucking effective. I know. I know. <laughs> and one of the most iconic shots in movie history. Absolutely, yeah. So, at this point, Malcolm is out of the picture. We don't know if he's dead. Gennaro is definitely dead because we saw him get fully eaten by this T-Rex. But we need to get the kids. So Grant makes a run for it. He stops Lex from screaming. They get moved around as the T-Rex kind of snouts the vehicle. This is really cool, too. And also, because th this is like, um, I mean, they, we have a, a, an animatronic T-Rex for the close-ups, the puppet. Mm -hmm. But the CGI looks really good here because it's dark and rainy. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Like, if the T-Rex is using its little puppet arms like in Tammy and the T-Rex, you can't really see it all that clearly. No, no. But also, yeah, this is, I, I love, again, the camera work here is we're kind of following Grant and Lexi as we are spinning around this Jeep. Mm-hmm. And then we start to run out of space because we're about to be crushed by the concrete divider. So she has to climb on his back. And then we do a little bit of spelunking. <laughs> Even this moment, right? Like it's already been so exciting. But really, this is almost its own mini secondary set piece mm -hmm. as he has to grab this rope 
as the vehicle literally falls down upon them. Well, and that's the thing, too. So what I do like about this, too, is that the, the dangers aren't just from dinosaurs. It's mm-hmm. also in their environment. So, again, that, yes. that we have an extended set piece where they're climbing down this tree as the car is falling down the branches. Mm-hmm. That's great. And, and it's it does work. <laughs> yeah, I'll confess, I don't know if i believe that tim would have been able to survive this car going over and landing in the tree but um oh yeah sure 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 um the shot though when they when they finally get to the ground and the car like kind of flips over on top of them Mm -hmm. great shot yeah and i also i remember laughing hysterically at tim's comment well we're back in the car in the car again (laughs) (laughs) like this child actor can really sell the goods you know what you know the other movie that he's famous for Mm. the river wild oh my god Mm. we've talked about that haven't we Uh, we've never covered it but honestly we could cover it we could it's deliverance light yeah it's it's more of a thriller but Mm -hmm. genre whatever also meryl streep's a badass kevin bacon's a horrible person (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah we don't really make movies like that anymore I love honestly the last time I saw river rafting in a movie was probably the descent right bring back river rafting is what we're saying honestly good setting for a horror film I actually this is true one of the wrong turns might do it actually oh actually you might be right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right so we're uh so we're cutting back and forth still so in the control room this is when Arnold clarifies we cannot get this back online without Nedry so trace Nedry's death scene uh, so I will say, so th- this is, I don't even like watching this today because there's something so creepy about the Stilophosaurus because the sound it makes, you know, it's so innocent. It looks so cute. It's cooing, right? Yes. And I will say this is something that is definitely gorier in the book. I don't remember if it's a frog right. lizard in the book, um, but it definitely. So the story that Grant tells the kid earlier about the Velociraptor cutting his stomach, mm-hmm. that's what the Dilophosaurus does to Nedry in the book. It cuts his right. stomach open, and his intestines spill out, and it starts eating his intestines. Blah, 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 blah. but this is still i mean again and that's why it's so funny to me you know when horror fans are like oh it's just typical pg-13 bullshit and i was like mm-hmm. i don't know man like jurassic park gets away with some shit that i'm a little surprised at to be honest i mean not this scene particularly but like there is like like there's a severed arm in this movie <laughs> yeah there there's an intensity to nearly all of the set pieces but yeah it does get away with some good bloody horror like even watching Gennaro get chomp chomped there we're not really cutting away from it like we're fully seeing a man get eaten oh yeah he gets thrashed around too um also a bit that i did love from this cold crash pictures video too is that um they mentioned in the stilophosaurus scene that no dinosaur is misgendered more mm-hmm. <laughs> because here boy, here boy. <laughs> nedry keeps calling it a good boy <laughs> <laughs> it's like nedry do you even know where you work did you watch the fucking video <laughs> he probably didn't even know there were dinosaurs on this island he doesn't care <laughs> uh i will say though jumping back yeah. to where nedry gets his kind of like you got 20 minutes to get to the dock it was very deep lucy to me where it's like we're all leaving for the weekend there's a yes! big storm coming <laughs> oh my god honestly that the deep lucy everyone's comparing it to jaws you're right but it, it's just jurassic park <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and all the sharks are raptors right yes they're very smart <laughs> they hunt in packs <laughs> uh, i bet that was the log line when they were pitching it too. jurassic park but in water <laughs> And everybody's like, you mean Jaws? Yeah, sure. That helps you sell it easier. Well, because it's also scientists playing God. Mm-hmm. So Ellie and Muldoon have decided if we can't get this 
park back on track we need to go and get the kids and hypothetically dr grant and malcolm as well (laughs) so they take a gas-powered jeep out they find malcolm he's okay but his leg is fucked and then we find signs that grant and the kids have taken off after this jeep down the tree kind of thing i did message you and say you know what everybody gives prometheus shit for charlie's there and running in a straight line but grant and tim fully could have just gone on either side of the tree and they just chose to try to outrun the cars it falls yeah but no one talks about that exactly you know why it's because we hate women I mean, she is an idiot woman who can only run in straight lines. <laughs> it's true, yes. <laughs> Where's the honest trailer for this part of Jurassic Park? That's what I want to know. You know I what? Oh, know. you know what? I don't think there is one, but I can guarantee you there's an honest trailer for Jurassic World. Oh, God, I betcha. Mm-hmm. <laughs> AKA fan service the movie before we got The Force Awakens. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. So, um... Yes, so we pack in up into the back of this car, and we get a repeat of the thudding water, and then we have this T-Rex chase sequence, and I will say, the rear view mirror yes. gag fucking kills. Objects in mirror are closer than they appear. <laughs> also, I will say, I also love Ellie. It My captions didn't say it, but I'm like, she is just yelling shit over and over again is she not i i could not tell you i i can picture the look of terror in her face as Mm -hmm. it gets really really close to the to to the jeep um but yeah this is oh man it's Uh, so good i mean that's the thing though once this to the first t-rex thing happens this movie doesn't really let up for the next hour I would argue some of the stuff with Grant and the kids, particularly when they go into the field, it's a little bit slower, but that's mostly just because we keep doing the cross-cutting. Right, because while they're doing their thing, we have suspenseful-ish stuff happening with Ellie and Muldoon. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's not safe, so Grant and the kids do end up climbing a tree. This is where they see Brachiosaurus off singing to each other. They fall asleep. It's all very cute. Oh, uh, look, he's becoming maternal. But, okay, but here's the other thing, too. So, like, you know, like, Lexi is like, because a lot of this, this fucking uh, Bellin guy, when he's like, oh, like, Tim is rewarded for his curiosity. He he has, like, okay things happen to him, which, okay. Mm-hmm. Like, sure. But Lexi, when she shows curiosity to the dinosaurs, she gets snot in her face. Which... I guess? I mean, to me, this is just a sight gag for kids. Yeah, this is funny. Also, it, it full, it's not full-on goes in her mouth. Like, it's disgusting. Oh, it it's so much. <laughs> God bless you! But, but, oh, I know. It's so... Gosh, again, it's it's that's the Steven Spielberg touch, too, where it's just like, mm-hmm. okay, we're, we're putting this moment of levity to give us a, a reprieve from all right. the horror happening around us. Yeah, the the pacing of the film, despite being a two-hour movie, there are peaks and valleys, but there's enough where you can appreciate the increase in tension as we move back up to scary because we have little moments like this. Also, I would argue these are still character beats. Yeah, 100%. I mean, again, because... Lexi has never really showed much interest in the dinosaurs before this, so this is Mm -hmm. also showing character growth for her. Exactly. She's interested in Vegisaurus, but not so much Metasaurus. Are those Metasauruses? Me- <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, I'm sorry. The They're flocking this way really gets me every time, too. <laughs> yeah, that is a good one. <laughs> oh, they're, uh, they're flocking, flocking this, this way. way. <laughs> 
So we did jump over a really good character beat right. that I quite like. I would argue this is one of Richard Attenborough's best scenes in the film where he's just sitting eating ice cream that is melting and he and ellie have this great moment where he wants to try to pretend like you know what this is a minor setback we're gonna figure it out everything will be okay and she has to tell them people are dying because we didn't take responsibility we underestimated this place and these things it's very much a you know what you played god you fucked around and you found out yeah but i'm also kind of like but it's also one man's fault (laughs) (laughs) it's very much nedry's fault but i feel like i feel like the the film infers that all you needed was one thing to go wrong and everything would happen they're almost lucky that it's not like jurassic world where the park is already open and filled with people when the disaster strikes well that's the thing right if anything if anything was proven by jurassic world movies it's like yeah uh, in 1993 uh, you just should have stopped Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because life finds a way Trace. well but you know what though because because be, well, because uh, Attenborough had died by the time Jurassic World came out but he still is in the movie as like a hologram yeah ew yeah but then like B.D. Wong took over because he's evil mm-hmm. and you know he's like I'm gonna control the world with dinosaurs yeah which is really weird right because that's more of who Hammond is in the books and it feels like they didn't want to do it to Attenborough they wanted to keep Hammond this kindly grandfather character and instead we're like "Mm, let's give it to the racialized character in future films shall we yeah it's just I mean whatever I I can talk about that movie all day but I won't (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah so we have also skipped over the moment where Grant discovers broken dinosaur eggs trace and this is when we learn that the supposedly all female population of dinosaurs has somehow found a way to breed i guess has there ever been a double feature of splice and jurassic park because i feel like that's a fitting double feature given the theme Mm, not too shabby not too shabby i feel like this is the main part where if anybody wants to do either a trans reading, a non-binary reading, or even just a kind of gender-fluid reading, you would pinpoint Dr. Grant's speech here, where it's like, okay, yeah, there are different types of amphibians who can switch their sex, hermaphroditic animals, and so on. Mm -hmm. But to me, this is also, like, if you do want to do a non-binary or a trans reading of the dinosaurs in this movie, the fact that Dr. Grant says this happens in other animals in nature to me is the biggest advocacy piece, right? It's not a human construction where we just have people who don't want to be men or women anymore. It's like, no, there's a scientific basis for it and it happens in other species. Like this is just natural. Well, here's the thing. It happens in frogs specifically. Sure. And they use frog DNA to fill the gaps in the DNA strands. So you're telling mm-hmm. me that none of these people <laughs> took into account that, that, that a certain species of frogs has the ability to change their biological sex. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. They didn't do their homework. Did not at all. But also, I was trying to get soapboxy with it, and you were just like, well, this is stupid. These scientists were dumb. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this is my last bit for Mr. Cold Crush Pictures. So he's, again, addressing this aspect of it um, mm-hmm. and kind of challenging Bellin, too, because he's he's taking a more positive look at the gender roles in this film than what sure. Bellin does. But 
what this guy says is, the dinosaurs are a unified block of feminine resistance. Every dinosaur in the film is either cis female or trans male. Their yes. ability to change biological sex could be compared to our ability to change gender, or even just gender roles. And even though sex and gender are not interchangeable terms, they are analogous when comparing mutant dinosaurs that spontaneously change biological sex to human beings expressing non-traditional gender roles and gender fluidity. The dinosaur's ability to change sex is hardly the patriarchal ideal, and what's more, the association isn't as negative as Bellin would have us think. No dinosaur is as aggressively misgendered as the poor Dilophosaurus, as we said, Nedra keeps calling her a nice boy. Do the dinosaurs represent feminine chaos or paternal sovereignty? That's up for us to decide. But he also goes on to say that the Queen T-Rex is one of the most celebrated, non-binary, gender-fluid icons in all movie history. (laughs) (laughs) Say it louder for the people in the back. I love it. I mean, look, people will give a shit for even, like, attempting this kind of a read on this film. But I think it's really fun. Yeah, I mean, if you don't want to subscribe to it, then obviously you can just read this as, oh, it's a story about people surviving a rampaging dinosaur park and a man who learns that he can actually be a bit of a father figure sure yeah, have at it sure that's the very conventional i'm sure endorsed reading that mr Spielbergo would <laughs> encourage us to think about but i think the other readings the queer rage the the trans dinos the non-binary gender fluid dinos that is also in here very easily like all you have to do is start looking at it Mm -hmm. 100 percent. so we have managed to get dr malcolm back to the control center he is hot and wounded so um enter the memes yeah and we have hammond saying okay we've managed to get him back but dr grant and the kids are still out there if you can't get the system back on track we need to shut it all down because that will give us the best chance of getting things booted back up yeah this doesn't go well (laughs) no i will say though at this point when they turn it off like so arnold says no we're not going to do that that's a really bad idea and then hammond says people are dying like you need to do this for me Mm. so we do and all the lights go out and i love the cinematography of this kind of blue filter with just the flashlights as they're waiting yeah it is so tense it's so atmospheric samuel l jackson is sweating and smoking he's (laughs) honestly that's probably why he dies because he smokes so much in this movie (laughs) (laughs) i remember vividly like so many moments from this movie but i for some reason there's something so weirdly delightful about nedry being a fucking (laughs) he's what all about the decorum so if you don't put in please then you will get locked out and a little cartoon avatar comes in and goes ah, 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 ah. <laughs> and you just have arnold wheeling himself over with this half-smoked shelly duvall from the shining cigarette poking out of his mouth and he goes please <laughs> <laughs> again that ah, 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 mm-hmm. ah, ah, it's permanently ingrained in my brain it's also the joker from batman oh my god it is isn't it I'm telling you, this movie is in conversation with the Batman franchise. Oh my god, I forgot about this. I've only seen Batman 89 like two or three times in my life. Oh, wow. Okay. Whereas I've seen Batman Returns about 75 times in my life. Well, tell me you're queer. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we have reset the power and it comes back on. So all we have to do is get to the breakers in the nearby maintenance shed. 
and trace i feel like this is prime fucking horror right like all you have to do is get a couple of feet and reset the breakers Well, because here's the thing too we haven't even seen these dinosaurs yet but mm-hmm. the way muldoon is acting and yeah actually the the, the the best use of suspenseful score is when ellie starts running it's like the mm-hmm. and again we haven't seen it we can't see anything that's chasing her but we know it means well this is serious <laughs> yeah i i love muldoon just goes run and it's so oh no this is this is really bad if this dude is fucking scared and i love that she is basically parkouring her way to this generator shed oh yeah she like (laughs) she like jumps onto a tree branch and like hurls herself forward oh it's great Mm -hmm. but then we want to make fun of ian malcolm's daughter using gymnastics in the second one even though it feels like it could just be a homage to this it kind of is. i mean what, gymnastics was her sole character trait literally <laughs> that's why she was in the movie i think it was just it was too on the nose it's like oh she's a gymnast so she can literally do this stunt but i guess my thing I, I, truth truthfully is the concept of a girl kicking a velociraptor out of a window via gymnastics mm-hmm. it, it, does it sound silly yes i don't think it's executed that so i think it i think it works in the film <laughs> mm-hmm. And also, if you really want to come down hard on that, then you should not be able to watch literally anything that happens in the new trilogy. Because there is way dumber shit that is happening. Like, we talk about Jurassic World Dominion on the Patreon, and we like the Malta sequence, but it is dumb as fuck. And way worse than anything about a black teenage girl drop kicking a velociraptor out a window actually you know what's funny the the third one has a very similar moment because there's a part where because the whole thing is like tay leone and william h macy's kid is he's lost on the island for like weeks or whatever and he survives because of course because we won't kill kids yes but sam neil finds him and he grabs his jar and the kid goes oh that's t-rex urine and he just goes how did you get this and he goes you don't want to know and i'm like but but i I do want to know how how did you get that without yeah what (laughs) What, did you just wander around looking for a puddle? It's just a cheap joke for the movie. I'm like, no, you need to explain how you got T-Rex pissed. Did you sit under this thing? Is it pissed? I need to know. Mm-hmm. No. That's, it sounds like bad screenwriting, if we're being it, honest. It is. I mean, look, it's not a perfect movie, but it's a fun 90-minute B movie. It's fun. All right. All right. You know what? I'm going to stick with Jurassic Park in the water. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> Any day. Okay, so Ellie is making a run for it, but we're still cross-cutting because we love to diffuse the tension, but also escalate it in other ways because as she is making her way into the shed and being guided by Malcolm, who can actually read the pipes, and she is starting to reset the power and we're going down and pushing these buttons, Grant and the kids are trying to make their way over an electric fence this this is real again this is another like car thing it's not dinosaurs that are a problem right now it's just that mm-hmm. it, it's ellie ellie's going to kill these people <laughs> <laughs> you know what ellie doesn't like kids and she's secretly hoping to fry one of them well and again it's so silly right because it's like okay so she has to press all these buttons one at a time she's going one at a time and of course the one that she shouldn't press is the last it's the one, one. at the very bottom <laughs> <laughs> when you would think that the fences would probably be pretty near the top yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but Tim goes flying off of this thing. He absolutely gets toaster strudled, but it's okay because Alan Grant is ready with his arms open to catch this child. Yeah, um, this looks silly, but um, <laughs> it's fine because you know what? We get my 
absolute favorite jump scare in the movie after this, which is when we get, it's almost like a redo of the shot in Jaws whenever the boy dies and we get the, the, the zoom in on Brody, but like the background is going further in the back. It's like, I mm-hmm. forgot how they do it, but um, we get the zoom in on Ellie. It's just like, you know, as the line you said at the top of the episode, we're back in business. Mm-hmm. And this raptor head just comes through the yep. pipes. This is fan fucking tastic. Mm hmm. Our first glimpse of the Velociraptor is basically him Jack Torrancing between these pipes at Ellie. It's great. Well, and I love too. So like, uh, she, she appropriately freaks the fuck out. Oh yes, she gets this gate shut, but it is like on her ass mm-hmm. this entire time. Oh, and oh, I love it. Does Muldoon die like right after this? He, I think, has technically already died by this point because after he tells her to run, when we cut back to him as she's making her way through the pipes, that's when he's clever girling. Yes, yeah. Oh, and of course, yeah, Arnold's hand winds up. <laughs> Wait, also, I'm sorry, who, where did that arm come from? It was just hanging out. Okay. Up top. I, I, in my mind for my entire life, I'm like, I guess the raptor just handed it to her <laughs> <laughs> here you go you know what you look like you needed a hand resetting this generator oh. so uh, yeah man Th- these raptors are these are such great movie monsters yeah so basically our two groups finally converge at this moment so ellie gets out of there muldoon is dead grant has revived him using cpr and we meet back up at the visitor center I love that the adults just kind of fuck off and leave the kids like, oh, I think there's a buffet. Go get fed. As though we don't still have raptors prowling around the premises. Well, but there's something because the visitor center, it looks safe because it's like, oh, this is like a communal area. We're not in the woods anymore, whatever the the forest or whatever. Well, it's that and they don't know that the raptors can open doors yet. Yes. <laughs> but again, this is a little bit of a pre um yeah. forever turn me off of green jello because looking at it just shaking on Lex's spoon as she sees the Raptor <laughs> silhouette, I'm just like, ugh, no, get it out. It's funny to me, this feels like another way of doing the ripples in the water. Like the jello is shaking. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But I love everything about this. Like I I didn't even bother to take notes because oh, I, I was either. just enjoying it. So I just did bullets where it's like the foggy breath on the window. We've got the transition, unless they figure out how to open doors, as we see the door handle turn, the mirror fake out in the kitchen, which is fucking iconic. Okay, it's I, 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 Lexi's best move of this entire movie. I said this on our Dominion episode, and I've repeated here for anyone that does not pay for our, our, our Patreon. But how rude! My my issue with that Jurassic World franchise is that, and honestly, even any of the any of the sequels to this movie nothing save for that trailer set piece in the lost world mm-hmm. matches the horror suspense and intensity of this goddamn kitchen scene and yes even watching it i was like i don't know how likely it is it's probably not likely but a lot of this is is giving me scream Two gale av room sequence vibes mm-hmm. where it's like we're playing mm-hmm. with the camera as we're going or i mean if you really want to say you know it's like that 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 um the bodega sequence in scream six although i don't think it's done right. as well there no we play with the space in this kitchen so much we're up we're down we're in the aisles we're with these kids mm-hmm. and the dinosaurs look great the entire time be they, they a do. puppet when they walk in or cgi when they're on top of the counters Mm-hmm. even like 
when the first one comes through and then the other one just kind of glides by like hey we're both here do you want to take this on yes oh yeah and also there's a look i think it's when tim is running for the freezer you mm. get like before like, it's right before the velociraptor starts charging it kind of like rears back and snarls yes. and then charges forward <laughs> mm -hmm. oh i love that too because tim taking an almost running start at it and then him screaming and grabbing that pole mm -hmm. so that he's got the kind of momentum to save himself and then he can't get back up and he's like stumbling it could be so fucking looney tunes it yeah. could be really silly and slapstick and it's not it's so tense and that was like, i i remember walking out of jurassic world and being like yeah it was good but like man there's nothing like that kitchen scene anywhere in that movie the, the, mm -mm. The, none of that movie's tone is anything like that kitchen scene and i just wish we weren't afraid to make these movies a little bit scary anymore yeah i feel like the thing that comes closest and it's not even really the same is a fucking lena luther getting eaten by yeah. that giant fish thing which is great but it's not scary it's cruel it's actually just me yeah it's cruel and it's great i mean look th th that is a memorable death and i i get like that, that feeling in the pit of my stomach and i'm like oh god like that mm -hmm. would suck oh, it's awful so it would bad. be the worst <laughs> <laughs> but this is like genuine peril actual tension mm -hmm. actual scares a hundred percent and it continues but th this is peak jurassic park to me like th this scene uh -huh. has yet to be topped for me yeah no absolutely this this is probably the high point of the film i will still give my reference it's a slight edge I I still think that I like the T-Rex coming through the roof of the car a little bit more. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I thought you were going back to the Lost World with that trailer. No. Well, cause even, even, <laughs> I do love the trailer, though. Well, I love the trailer in the book the most. Yeah, well, because the trailer thing, because again, it's, oh, they're worried about the glass breaking. So you have the external part mm -hmm. of the environment, but then you also have the T-Rexes pushing it off the cliff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I will say, I always love a character falling on glass and then the glass starting to crack. Oh, and it's great. like, you need to move. You need to move now, a.k.a. Brandy. And yes. I still know what you did last time. Yes. Oh, um, okay. But there's so... That's a good movie marathon. Movies that features characters. <laughs> like walking across breaking glass. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Super cut it. Somebody sent it to us. Okay. One tiny little touch that I also like before we move on from this kitchen scene, though, is um. Okay. So after they trap the raptors, you know, Tim mm -hmm. is like taking a breather. Right. And Lex runs and Lex grabs scares him. him. Well, you know, and, and he is, he thinks it's a raptor grabbing him, even though yes. like, he knows that it, that to me is such a perfectly human moment. And I, I have mm -hmm. to believe that Spielberg directed this kid to do it this way. Interesting. Yeah. It, it's such an interesting piece because we don't hang on it. Like we mm -hmm. have to keep moving, but you're right. It's such a genuine moment. Yeah. Cause yeah, it, it, it's not even a, a jump scare because we mm -mm. see Lex. <laughs> Right, yeah, we know exactly what's happening. It's a jump scare for Tim only. Exactly, which again, how how many times does that really happen? Where it's a jump mm. scare for a character, but not also the audience. Yeah, because more often than not, it's you know it's a character walking by and a cat jumps at them, and we go, "Ooh, horsey, you scared me." Yeah, <laughs> horsey, you scared me too. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, fucking scary movie. Okay. So, yes, everybody gets reunited. We head to the control room because we think that's the safest spot. But also, if we can boot back the locks, then we'll be okay. And, of course, we get this. We can't get the door to shut because we don't even have handles on this one. And every time I watch this, I just think, Jesus Christ, Lex didn't even know to try to align it to make sure that they had the door shut before <laughs> she activated the locks. They could have done it so that the 
the door was just permanently open. So also one of my favorite camera moments, though, is, you know, Alan is like, real. his head is up with the, the circular window in the door. He bends mm-hmm. down to look at the lock and then he comes back up. And all of a sudden that raptor is right there breathing. on. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> Here's Johnny. <laughs> it's so good. I tell you, I, I it, here's the thing the t-rex was originally not going to make a return in the climax of this film but which is wild i cannot believe it i know but here's the thing i you don't love it it, well, it gives it a you have that great tableau image of the the t-rex roaring and the the, mm-hmm. the, the, the dinosaurs whatever the fuck the, the the sign says it falls down when dinosaurs ruled the earth Trace, yeah. come on that is such a queer empowerment moment look at this diva taking her her bow on the center stage i know no i know i get i get it to me i just kind of hate that it's like oh the t-rex saves them from the raptors okay sure. <laughs> right they don't save themselves no but but but, but spielberg was like that he knew the t-rex was going to be the star and i'm like well mm-hmm. for my horror loving heart i'm sorry but these raptors are the star for me but. well they're the real villains right the mm-hmm. t-rex ends up becoming a kind of accomplice helper when you're not it's an antagonist whereas the velociraptors are the villains well it's it's because it's, it's like the, the, the t-rex sees by mo- movement so the raptors are moving the fastest out of all the people on the screen <laughs> sure i will say there, there's two other moments that i want to touch yeah. on mm-hmm. before we get to that finale so we i was joking with brian who was not watching this he was just kind of off and i was like ah, i think it's so funny that they're like the velociraptor is coming in i'm like how is it gonna fit through that tiny porthole and then we see the raptor fucking jump through the entire glass window oh yeah oh i also i've never noticed this before but it's so it's when they crawl up into the roof which again i love Mm -hmm. this i love lex falling up the ceiling yeah that's one of the things i wanted to highlight so there's there's two final bits her with her leg almost getting bitten i think is the last big jump scare in this movie Mm -hmm. and it is crazy effective yeah it's good but also i think one of the most beautiful shots in the movie i may have even seen it on one perfect shot is this velociraptor with the code yep yep that's what i was gonna say It's stunning. It is so beautiful. It's funny. I did because it's it's the DNA code, right? Right. Okay. I, uh, I, or it might be the system rebooting, like the ones and zeros. See, okay. I, I thought it was just like computer code like that, but I right. think there's letters on it, and so I Ooh, thought it was the DNA code, like the DNA sequence. That's, that's that would be better. That's what I think it is. I mean, y'all y'all can let us know. You know do that <laughs> but yeah. no i do agree. our homework for us it's such it's such a good shot it's, it's again great. everything everything with these raptors like it's like a 15 minute like non-stop barrage is so mm. fucking perfect yeah no so so good yeah and then you know fun stuff where they're hanging off the t-rex and it falls and everybody's really worried and then t-rex and then we're off to the helicopter, and I do love John Hammond's kind of wistful last look. You know, this is the thing that I built. It was my life's accomplishment. Oh, yeah. It's the flea circus writ large, and I have to let it go because I was never in control. Well, he's still living in a mansion in the second movie, so he's doing fine. Oh, he's he's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and of course, you know, the iconic sort of final shot is it looks like everything is fine. Dr. Grant has accepted these kids and they're having this perfect tableau sleeping moment. And then we see a dinosaur that we have never seen before, but that's fine. Uh, flying alongside, leaving the island. Yep, yep, yep. 
<laughs> and the movie just gets out. It's like, all right, we don't have to see them yep. get back to the, Goodbye. To the mainland. You don't need to know how the rest of their lives turn out. <laughs> We're done. They're fine. We will never see Tim and Lex again. You know what I forgot? I forgot that Laura Dern actually... No, no, no. Tim and Lex do have a cameo in The Lost World. Do they? Yes. Okay. Because so we, 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 we see Hammond briefly after Camilla Bell dies, and Ian Malcolm <laughs> goes to his place, and he's like, oh, yeah, the, these compies... Um, ate a girl but she's fine and mm. tim and lex run downstairs to say hi to ian really quick and then they go away uh, okay so we just needed to confirm that they are actually alive and doing okay and not traumatized therapy apparently did wonders for them and they are perfectly sure. well adjusted well you know what they are rich as fuck well could, and do you remember laura dern is in jurassic park 3 uh oh does she have like a, a split second cameo like lecturing or doing something she has a phone call because alan calls her before he goes and like i think he tells her what she's doing um but then when they're like in the water with the with the spinosaurus the the, the river right. sequence he calls her when they're trapped in this cage or something and she calls the army to come save them sure yeah okay. <laughs> she's like i'm laura dern i i am a queer icon i don't have time to come back for this third jurassic park movie i'm sorry but ask me for the third one in the next trilogy and i might come back and phoning it in i love sam neill and laura dern and um ian, uh, ian, i was ian mckellen uh, yes ah <laughs> <laughs> yes noted thus being ian mckellen playing ian malcolm in this new movie yeah i love all three of them but jesus christ are they ever phoning in those cameos i don't i don't even think it's a phoning it in thing i think it's more of a like they have nothing to do in that movie like they oh, are yeah yeah i mean again y'all we we had fun with jurassic world dominion you can go listen sure. to that patreon episode but yeah it's a it's not this movie well it didn't give me my oh i haven't seen ellie sattler in like 30 years this is what i want from this character <laughs> mm -hmm. but yeah no anyway well um okay well that is jurassic park any final thoughts on it joe this movie's gay it's very <laughs> queer if you can't see it you shouldn't be listening to this podcast this movie's trans um there we go yeah no i mean honestly I, I, truthfully i'd never considered it before um but again I, this isn't a movie that i rewatched a lot because i saw it so much when i was younger that uh yeah i mean honestly the read uh, it, it holds water for me honestly i mean give it given what these dinosaurs are absolutely yeah and the water that it holds ripples <laughs> Let me just get my porous leather cloth, though, and I'll get it off of you for you. There we go. You know what? Good job, Mikey Creighton. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Hope that climate change worked out for you. <laughs> well, he's dead. It doesn't matter. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's nonchalant. Well, he's dead. Uh, okay. <laughs> Before we announce what we're covering next week, uh, if you want to get in touch with us, please reach us on Twitter and Instagram at HorrorQueers. Shoot us an email at HorrorQueers at gmail.com. Find us on Letterboxd to keep track of all the films we've covered. Go to our YouTube channel to check out our interviews with various horror filmmakers, uh, as well as our most anticipated films of each month. Uh, if you want to chat with other listeners, please join our Facebook Horror Queers group. If you have a moment, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you want even more content, please support the show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash horrorqueers. We are now in June. So Ooh. go sign up now and you will get, if you sign up at the highest level, you will get 244 hours of extra content. That is all the Patreon episodes we've done over the past four or five years. We've referenced like 10 of them in this episode alone. I know. This is really a plugging episode. So yay, <laughs> Jurassic Park. I mean, it, you know what? Jurassic Park is all about merchandise. It makes sense. There we go. Yes, we're taking we're taking our cues from the film. We're sorry. <laughs> we're not sorry. Uh, this month, we are catching up on horror TV with a discussion of both Slasher Ripper on Shudder and season two of Yellow Jackets on Showtime. 
Uh, mm. As for movies, we've got Rob Savage's Stephen King adaptation, The Boogeyman, and the all-black cast slasher film, The Blackening. And of course, as I already mentioned months before, our audio commentary for the month will be on the aquatic slasher sequel, Jaws 2, just in time for its 45th anniversary. Ooh. Yes. But Joe... Yes. What are we talking about next week? Well, Trace, I don't know if we're going to have quite as much fun, but we might sing Off With Your Head, because <laughs> that's terrible. I apologize. <laughs> um, yeah, we're going to talk about some family trauma, really horrible, horrible shit. We're going to finally tackle Hereditary. I'm really excited for this. Uh, I've seen this movie many times, but I haven't mm -hmm. seen it recently. Yeah, you wrote a very iconic, I'm using the word iconic. Iconic, I know we're all saying. <laughs> you wrote a, a very successful and very accessible unpacking of this movie for Bloody Disgusting. Yes, and it came after I read the script, which I will go revisit that article before we record. <laughs> there we go, there we go. Yeah. No, I'm excited to revisit this as well. This is not a movie I regularly go back to, but I do love that, you know, that one meme that went around where it's like, a woman says she wants to relax, and then she puts on a movie where a woman saws her own head off with piano wire. And it's like, <laughs> hereditary, I see you. Oh, man, yeah. Well, everyone, until next week, and Tony Collette's amazing uh, dinner Ooh, table monologue. Literally where we get our awards name from. Yep, we can cross out Jurassic Park. Indeed, and cross out horror queers. <laughs>